God, those communists are amazing. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Let's Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him. And tonight I'm here with Sterling, he, him. Ward, he, him. And especially guest tonight from the Dixie Land of the Proletariat Podcast is Nelson, he, him. How's it going, Nelson? It's going well, y'all. Thanks for having me. Fuck yeah, buddy. Couldn't wait to have you on. Hell yeah. This is a long overdue episode. Now we're, uh, you know, brothers in arms with fucking Brett from Rev Left having been guests on his podcast. Fuck yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, uh, we wanted to talk about this. I mentioned this the last time we had you on to talk about the Antifa, not the real fascists, just talking about the Southern strategy, because this is the the new way of the new right is like to demonize the Democrats and the left by saying they're the racist. And the idea that anybody on the right is going to say that the left are bad because they're racist It's just fucking hysterical, as it should be. It should be absolutely hysterical on its face. But of course, you know, hypocrisy, flat out lying has never been a stumbling block for the right. And so why should it be now? But that's kind of just what I want to talk about tonight. There's not really any structure for it. Uh, Nelson, I just know this is a topic that you're particularly informed on. You have a couple of books to recommend for everybody. But that's all I want to do tonight is just give people more ammunition for these arguments that you probably are encountering when you get these people who say that the Democrats are actually the party of the KKK. The same people that have literal rebel flags tattooed on their chest. Yeah, like <laughs> fucking Gadsden <laughs> flags on their trucks. Like, oh man, yeah, I have a I have a lot to say about this. For those who don't know, I don't know if I mentioned last time. Like, I study political science. I've taken Southern politics multiple times. It's kind of a, a side project of mine. Also, living in the South, what the podcast is about is you know Southern politics, Southern history from a leftist perspective. So, I yeah, the party switch, the Southern strategy, the key players involved. I'm ready to, for uh, everyone who has to get together for their racist family members over the holidays, uh, I'm ready to give you all some ammunition to, to combat the bullshit that they're going to say. Well, unfortunately, so, this probably won't come out until after all the holidays are over, but still. For the um, next holidays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but since we're doing that, go ahead and plug your show, unless you have something real quick, Sterling. I was just going to say, Reagan was also a Democrat to start with, so are, are the Republicans <laughs> anti-Reagan oh, too now? Oh, <laughs> shit. Much like Trump. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Nelson, yeah. go ahead and plug the Dixieland of the Proletariat. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm Nelson from uh, Dixieland of the Proletariat. We do Southern working class history and current events from a leftist perspective. Basically, you can listen to us on almost every major platform. We had a falling out with SoundCloud, so not SoundCloud, but basically everything else. Our link tree. Yeah, fuck those guys. Like, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> Who are on right now. <laughs> so uh, link tree slash uh, Dixie Pro will give you all of our links to everything, Facebook, YouTube, I mean, where you can listen to the podcast, uh, we're on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all that good shit. But yeah, so it's basically, like I said, Southern working class history and current events to leftist perspective, just giving people a different view of the South than what everyone's probably used to. We're not all a bunch of white bumbling racists. It's not all chuds, believe it or not. It's, it's not, not all, all chuds, chuds down there. Exactly. <laughs> you know, as four out of five hosts on this podcast can attest to, so. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about this. Uh, I want to start off with this Dinesta Sousa video, and it's called The Biggest Lie Ever Told by the Democratic Party. And so the description says, the two parties didn't switch sides any more than the cowboys all became Indians and the Indians all became cowboys. But let's say there was a party switch. Would that mean that the murderous crimes of the Democrats from slavery to lynching somehow transferred to the Republicans? And so then there's just more plugs for all his uh, other books. I think, what was the first plug down there? Was a link? It says DineshDeSouza.com slash socialism. I'm sure that's a very nuanced and balanced informed take on socialism. We can look into that. United States oh socialism. Oh my God. <clears throat> yeah. Reveals anyway. how the left uses the Venezuelan <laughs> formula for socialism. Uh, what's up? 
really quick. So clearly his logic is bulletproof and I agree with it entirely. So if I rob my neighbor and just shoot him and then as I'm getting arrested, I just say I'm actually a Republican now. I'm no longer a Democrat. Like I'm, I'm good to go. All of my sins of the past yeah. are given. Mm-hmm. So I sw- okay, just check. Yeah. It. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Hi, I'm going to make a few more videos on the big quiz. <laughs> this has become absolutely central. He does have a punchable face, though. Left. Yeah, it's now clear that the Democrats are responsible for the slave plantation. They were the party of slavery, both in the North and in the South. They were the party of segregation. They were the party that opposed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. They were the party of Jim Crow. Uh, they were the party of the Ku Klux Klan and racial terrorism, all the lynchings, the so-called Negro barbecues of people eating hamburgers while people were hanging from trees. This is the Democratic Party. You pause for a second. Word. The Democrats can't shoulder the. Okay, so Nelson, before we get into his assertion that the party switch never happened, his starting premise, which is that the Democrats did all these horrible atrocities, the Democrats are racist. The Democratic Party is a racist institution. What do you have to say to that as a leftist? I mean, obviously, as a leftist, fuck the Democratic Party, but like, yes, right? Like, thing, you would say yes, wholeheartedly, yeah, yes, wholeheartedly, like, yes. Yeah. I don't know what logical fallacy that he's using. On its surface, what he's saying is not wrong. Yes, the Democratic Party was the party of slavery. Democratic Party was the party of segregation, black codes, Jim Crow, all of that. Yes, but what these people, the far right, the Republicans, whatever, get fundamentally wrong is that the party realignment that happened was a long-term thing that happened for multiple, multiple reasons. They really, I guess, straw man it, I guess they don't, it's not that all of a sudden these Dixiecrats just were like, we're Republicans now and we're still pro segregation, et cetera, whatever. Later on, we'll get to one of my favorite characters in the Southern strategy, Lee Atwater, who is hope burning in hell Mm-hmm. Uh, critical support for brain cancer. Um, <laughs> the man was the man was pure fucking evil, but he was an absolute political genius. And how there's a he got caught on a hot mic in the '80s describing the Southern strategy. And I, I'll send someone the link to that video later, and we can pull it up and listen to it because what he says defines what the party switch and the Southern strategy was. Now, when we say party switch, what we'll get into later on more in detail is that. There wasn't a defining year, a date, a time that the Democrats and Republicans just whoop. The Democrats are now Republicans and liberal and not racist. And all the Republicans now are old Democrats and racist. That's not what happened. There isn't a massive change that just catastrophic Thanos fucking snapping his fingers and fucking everyone switched. Right. It's a gradual top down change that was driven not only by race but economic and all that intertwined into what becomes the southern strategy in the party switch the party switch is not necessarily that all these southern democrats became republicans a lot of them just didn't run again and got beat by republicans and a lot of them retired a lot of them died they were old as shit a lot of them got replaced by liberal black Democrats, obviously. And gradually the shift is that the South went from solid blue Democrat to solid red Republican and never stopped being conservative in a lot of ways. The only thing, the major difference 
is it went from being more of an economic populist block that was extremely socially conservative and racist to a embracing this like conservative economic shit and being racist. I was going to say, Nelson, I feel like having only looked into this briefly, like I've only done my own cursory looking into the party switch and what the right says about it. And then what the actual truth is. And we'll get into this tweet thread later. Somebody dunked on Dinesh D'Souza on Twitter and they gave him a list of 200 different uh, politicians who switched parties during the time of the party switch, which spanned, you know, several decades. Mm -hmm. But they gave him a list of over 200 Dixiecrats, they were known as, who switched parties because it was no longer the party of racism. But what I was going to say is I bet we will find that there are probably still some issues that the Democrat Party of today is further right on than it was in the past. But these are things like... Yeah. The things that actually matter for our material conditions where they're further left is where it's social conditions that don't affect anybody's purse strings and bottom line, yeah. you know, and that don't threaten the power of the ruling class or anybody who wields power. But yeah, we can continue with the video unless you have anything else, Nelson. Yeah, no, I can, I can take this back. I can start post-reconstruction to present day. So well, however far back y'all want to go, I can take it where we are. <laughs> I got all night, uh, buddy. We can, we can play this dickhead's fucking video. So. <laughs> weight of this historical responsibility. They don't have the decency to say, we did it. Our party is responsible and we are going to admit it. We're going to pay restitution. They don't want any of this. In fact, what they want to do is to take all these crimes and foist them onto the very party that fought them all the way. The party that emancipated the slave. Okay, so then real quick, that just makes me think of the very easiest way to refute this line of thinking. Just ask them why the Republicans are not so cool with people pulling down the statues of slave owners. Like, why are you not cool with us pulling down Confederate war hero statues? Like, that was one of the, my favorites. It was very simple. It's a very effective way to, to refute this. But yeah. Yeah. The Democrats are so racist. They elected Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Well, kind of, but we'll move on. <laughs> it's kind of genius. Like, uh, Yeah, it was, it was like, what better way to get everybody uh, just to... Uh, yeah. I, the, I, I love how... What is it... Uh, the Democrats are so racist, the Congressional Black Caucus has one Republican. Everyone else is a fucking Democrat, yeah. <laughs> like, nails on a fucking And enacted the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment and opposed the segregation laws and opposed lynching and opposed racial terrorism and shut down the Ku Klux Klan um, in the 19th century. So this is the insidiousness of what the left is trying to do here with this doctrine of the switch. And the switch, of course, is a, is a total lie. The Republican Party now is the party of Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln talked about the fact that the Republican Party stands for keeping the fruits of your own labor. The hand that makes the corn has the right to put the corn in its own mouth. Yeah, the, the fucking, yeah, Lincoln, who was literally having correspondence with Karl Marx during the fucking Civil War. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, I yeah. bet if the Republicans knew that, their heads would fucking explode. And for even today. And Lincoln defined the Democratic Party as the party of slavery. You work, I eat. And even now, economic confiscation, the confiscation of the fruits of another man's labor. <laughs> That's the video of the Democratic Party. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, dude, pause it. Pause it. Pause it. Pause it. That dude just literally was like that. What he just said was that the plan. The fu- <laughs> the bro, fucking, taxes are the exact same thing as slavery, the bro. Fucking the, same ca- the, the southern caste system of fucking chattel slavery and the plantation is the same thing as socialism. Yeah, man. That makes perfect fucking sense. Jesus Christ. It checks out. I'm pretty sure Karl Marx wrote about that. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, those people that didn't own themselves definitely own the means of production. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> the slave masters, the plantation owners, they own the means of production. The means of production for literally human beings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. God, this guy's a fucking clown. Yeah, Let's say that somehow the cops all became robbers and the robbers became cops. So to use a different analogy, let's say the cowboys all decided to become Indians and the Indians all decided to become cowboys. I mean, it's nutty. You know you're about to make a really solid political argument when you have to remove it from the actual subjects that that you're talking about and make an entirely different analogy so that you can make it make sense. You know know that's how you're going to really make a good solid point. What's what's up, Sam? I I also love the fact that he says, let's imagine that the cops... And the criminals switch sides. So, you know, good versus evil. And <laughs> Not then, too hard. And then let, let's use another good versus evil. The Cowboys versus the Indians. What if they right, switch right, right. and the Indians started being the good guys? Dude, oh, my favorite God. one with the cop analogy is when you just look at the statistics of how much was stolen in robberies versus how much was stolen in civil asset forfeiture. <laughs> like, just exceeds it a lot. Imagine such like, a world where the cops are actually the robbers. Oh, my God. <laughs> But let's say it happened. Would all the crimes committed, let's say, for example, by the Indians, all the Indian massacres, all the scalpings, all the beheadings, would those somehow now transfer over to the cowboys because the cowboys put on feathers? No. People are responsible for what they did. And even if the parties somehow were to switch sides, change their platforms, it wouldn't take the crimes of the Democratic Party. I've got to get some I really wish we had Kai on just so she could remark on how fucking racist that was. She would blow. Like, she'd blow a fucking. Oh my god, dude! Oh yeah. Oh, just because they put on feathers, it's like what? Well, okay, so first of all, all Native Americans wear feathers, and all of a sudden, like they've committed a whole bunch of atrocities, as opposed to the cowboys and white people who did not. Like, what are we talking oh about? Yeah. No, 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 oh, those never happen. Okay, <laughs> but let's talk about the Democrats erasing history. The left is erasing history. Bro. Let's talk about how it was the uh, the fucking Republicans that were in power. Uh, that pushed west and fucking committed the genocide. So let's let's talk. Let's like I have to say, post Reconstruction, the Republicans were the federal government, and they pushed the fucking army out west and slaughtered Native Americans. <laughs> let's bring that up you, to this guy and see if he fucking says You think this is enough? No, it's not. What did you just grab? <laughs> no, it's not going to do it, man. We're about to get no, fucking. Yeah, we have twenty five seconds left. That's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. Oh, this is the tip of the iceberg. I got you. Know, don't we, just just wait. <laughs> The fact that, for example, in 1860, out of 4 million slaves, well over 90% of them were owned by Democrats, hardly any owned by Republicans. This doesn't automatically change whether or not the party switch sides. So the big lie, the big switch is a big lie. It's ultimately a bogus effort to escape from historical and moral responsibility. Yeah, dude, for sure. He's right. Actually, he won me over. Uh, Fuck those two classes I took. Fuck the papers I wrote. Uh, fuck the experts. Fuck these books I read. And fuck my professors who are uh, experts in this that said the party switch is real, man. That guy just totally, I'm going to Prager you. I'm burning my fucking degrees. <laughs> and uh, yeah, South or Even more importantly, fuck any of my inherent moral values that lead me to think that racism is bad or that black people don't deserve to be persecuted by the police all the time. I'm now a hardcore Republican. I'm back of blue. All lives matter, blue lives matter, you know, that's what I'm doing now. And I think that the best way we could actually help black people, because I'm actually not racist now. I was racist before when I was leftist. Yeah. I don't know if you guys <laughs> realize I was, I was very racist because yeah. I was, yeah. I was infantilizing I, I people I of color. Up. Like, yeah, I'm sure you could. 
And I feel like now I'm less racist because what I think we should do to tackle the real racism is to lower taxes on some rich white dudes so that they can donate more money yes. to some inner city people and Hell help yeah. them pull and up their bootstraps. No, no more minimum wage. <sighs> yes, got to get rid of that. That's the first, that's the most racist thing you could ever enact. I um I just emailed the hot mic interview by Lee Atwater, mm. and I think that uh, if y'all want to listen to that now, it's really going to shut this like just. It's going to take what all he said and throw it out the window from the little horse's mouth. Oh, so yeah. uh, we can yeah, shoot away from that. I can, I can break everything down if you want. And if this doesn't fucking. Yeah, it's that first people, one word. Yeah, it's the first one. If this doesn't convince mm-hmm. people. Also, uh, uses very racial insensitive language. The N slur is used. Uh, Lee Atwater is a racist. So trigger if anyone's sensitive to that, uh, trigger warning. Don't listen for the next like two minutes. To real. It's going to take us longer than that to get through this video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we should just watch it in one go and then comment. Maybe just skip this whole episode if the trigger warning is. <laughs> so this is Lee Atwater, who became uh, he was Reagan's political strategist and became the RNC chair. Oh yeah, actually, we'll go back. Let me read that out for everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, so this is um, this is a video on YouTube by the Nation. The video is called "Exclusive Lee Atwater's Infamous 1981 Interview on the Southern Strategy." And so in 1981. The legendarily brutal campaign consultant Lee Atwater was working in Ronald Reagan's White House when he was interviewed by Alexander Lamas. In this audio made public for the first time ever, Atwater lays out how Republicans can win the vote of racists without sounding racist themselves. <laughs> this is the Southern strategy. That is the entire Republican Party, right? That is what they do. Like All they do is find ways around saying what you know that they're saying. Their whole strategy rests on that plausible deniability. Like, oh, I'm not actually racist. And it's like, Go on any online right-wing forum, and all they do is, like, the dog whistles. Like, just dog whistle after dog oh. whistle. If they're not outright saying racist shit. Mike, have you watched this video before? Because you literally just said the, what he just said out loud. Okay, <laughs> sorry. He said the quiet part out loud. Here's how I approach that issue as a, as a statistician. Or, no, it's a psychologist, which I'm not. Is, is how abstract you handle the race. In other words, you start out... And now y'all are full. You start out in 1954 by saying nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you can't say nigger. That hurts your backfire. So you say stuff like busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now. You're talking about cutting taxes and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things. And the byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than white. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. But I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, uh, that, that we, we're doing away with the racial problem one way or the other. Because um, obviously sitting around saying uh, we want to cut taxes, we want to cut this, we want is much more abstract than, than even the busing thing. Uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than never knew. You know. So I, any way you look at it, race is coming on the back burner. Woo! Yeah, so that's a that's a that's some real nice shit that Lee Atwater said there. I mean, th- is that really surprising to anybody? I mean, should that be surprising to anybody that knows the nature of the Republican Party and just how fucking racist and and then dishonest about that racism? Like that's the thing. When we had those guys on the Libertarians on a couple weeks ago, one of the things that keeps coming back to me when I think about it is like I can be perfectly honest. Somebody said in the Discord the other day, like we opened up the episode and I said something about re-education camps and gulags being awesome. And they were like, Mike, I can't believe you just like started the episode with that. I'm like, well, I mean, 
<laughs> Where's the lie? Like, but like yeah. I can be honest about that. Like, because I know that one word, it's not going to happen. Like it's not going to happen here in America, but also I know that like what I'm advocating actually does make sense. If you hear me out and listen to who I'm advocating for putting in those camps, it's like unapologetic fascists. And I don't think anybody in their right mind can stand up for those people unless you really want to bend over backwards, do the free speech thing, which the only people who want to do that are the fucking right wingers. And that's my whole thing is like, I don't think that they can be honest about their politics. I don't think anybody on the right can really be honest about what they believe and what they want, because then they'd have to say some really racist shit that they know all of society is against. And that's what we call cancel culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This country is <laughs> fucked and there's no fixing it. Yeah. It is the contradiction that Mao talks about. It needs to be just be destroyed and the land given back to the natives and that's that you can't the, the contradiction of settler colonialism like it can't it can't work yeah. it's gonna fail yeah. i think that's a good way to tell the difference between a liberal and a leftist like if you're talking to someone and you ask them what do you want for america and the liberals will say look i just want some better policies and i want us to get back to work and make things better and then you ask a leftist like i want this fucking thing to burn to the ground i want yeah. it all gone and i want it to be native <laughs> reservations all just yeah. the whole thing, <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing. Just give it to them. Burn, burn me they, with they it. <laughs> <laughs> if I gotta go back to Italy. Fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's fucking go. You know, I'm in the south. If it turns into New Africa, fuck yeah, dude. It's gonna be yeah. great. Yeah. God damn. But yeah, what y'all think about Lee Atwater, who ended up be, who got Ronald Reagan elected twice and then became the RNC chair before critical support for brain cancer took him out. <laughs> yeah, I like that. He's a devil. Yeah, I'm I'm a little yeah. floored, but I mean I'm floored and I actually have heard this before like as it was playing, it was it was like, you know, Vietnam flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, no, make it stop." Obviously, in no way surprised. I mean, he's the perfect candidate for Reagan for helping him with his campaign. I mean, we had literal fucking Ku Klux Klan members in Congress at that time who were Republicans um, who yeah. were selling Mein Kampf and the Turner Diaries out of their congressional office. It's of no fucking surprise whatsoever. But I think especially with this argument, I kind of have a different position here than a lot of people do. And that's that this whole, was it the Democrats? Was it the Republicans? I don't care so much in that argument because my view is that None of those people are still alive today. Who it was to me was it was the American people. Mm. You were not sheltered. Your family members, if you're in the South, likely played a role in some fucking atrocious shit. And the solution to it was to make an even more economically unfair system. Like he says, and, and again, it's like dog whistles when he says we did away with slavery and we gave you the 13th Amendment. We all know what the fucking 13th Amendment says. It literally yeah. gives an opportunity to still do slavery. And more important, the Constitution as a whole gives people this incredible economic power over someone else that is not that much different. Do I think me going work in a fucking office is anywhere near as brutal as it was like for uh, some black people in the South during those times? A fucking, of course not. Of course not. The, those horrors, I could not imagine no, how, no matter how hard I tried. but. Do I think that we still live in something that could just, maybe not just as easily, something that could be defined as a type of slavery? You know, people throw around the, the wage slavery term. I mean, we have a system, and someone posted an Alexander Hamilton quote 
uh, on Instagram that just I, I loved. I mean, I love because he's a fucking monster. But it was him saying that Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, let me let me, <laughs> oh, no. let me let me pull it up because it really is that great. It just take me a second. Um, you gotta wrap it though. I'm gonna give you a beat. Yeah, you gotta right. wrap it. <laughs> so it says excerpt. I don't have a date on it, but it says excerpt from Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> All communities divide themselves. All right, we're good. No, All, com- no. <laughs> All communities divide themselves into the few and the many. The first are the rich and well-born. The other, the mass of the people. The voice of the people has been said to be the voice of God. And however generally this maxim has been quoted and believed, it is not true, in fact. The people are turbulent and changing. They seldom judge or determine right. Give, therefore, to the first class a distinct permanent share in the government. They will check the unsteadiness of the second. And as they cannot receive any advantage by change, they will therefore maintain good government. From the fucking beginning, they've, this has been the plan. From the beginning of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, this was the fucking plan. Give the minority wealthy class control of the government. So I don't yeah. give a fuck what side you think you know, your political party at one point was involved in, your political party is still involved in this monstrous dehumanizing system. So do I give much of a fuck? Like, like we're talking about like uh, Lincoln who freed the slaves, who was also a big fan of Marx. And you know, that's kind of a debated thing. You know, he read some of his newspapers. I don't think he ever directly responded to Marx, although Marx did, you know, send it directly to his secretaries and stuff. I definitely think it's fair to say that he was very interested in some of the things Marx was saying. But my point here is where the Democrats and the Republicans were at the time of slavery is the Democrats were obviously to the right of the Republicans. Now, if you were to chart that on a map and you want to figure out how that's changed today, it's not about one switching sides or the other. They've both hurled the fucking to the right. The difference is the Republicans have hurled a little bit faster. So yeah, whereas it's technically a switch and I get that argument, what it really is is both of them fucking bolt setting to fascism and one of them just doing a little bit better, more effective job at bolting to fascism. That's my opinion. Yeah, and the other one dressing it up with the fucking rainbow flags. Yep. Well, I mean, that actually brings us to the next thing that I wanted to get to, which is I feel like we can occupy ourselves with this for a while. Because it is a, a quite a long tweet thread. Word, if you'd be so kind as to pull that up as well. Sorry, I didn't plan on making you the genie of the night, but yeah, no worries, I got it. This guy dunking, it's uh, Kevin M. Cruz. So it's at Kevin M. K-R-U-S-E on Twitter. And he had this thing, this is July 3rd, 2018. So this is a while back when I guess uh, this argument was a little more prevalent. I feel like this is kind of an old hat argument, but it does still crop up from time to time. But So this is uh, a tweet thread that he did. Directly at Dinesh D'Souza, Dinesh says, okay, let's see a list of the 200 or so racist Dixiecrats who switched parties and became Republicans. Put up or shut up. And this is at uh, some other Bartleby person, but that doesn't really matter. So this Kevin M. Cruz guy comes back at him. I didn't read the whole thing because he it goes on for a bit, but there were a couple in here that were pretty interesting. Kevin M. Cruz, he starts off, as I've noted before, focusing solely on Southern Democratic politicians who've officially switched parties instead of ordinary voters, as scholars emphasize, intentionally misses the thrust of the party realignment on matters of race and civil rights. What do you say to that, Nelson? Would you say that's accurate? I think that makes sense. You no, know, I would, yeah, I would say it's more accurate because you get on, I'll talk about this when we get to these books and like more in depth into it. It's the shifting demographics 
especially economically in the South through the voters that guides a lot of the realignment from, but also from the top down, like it starts, you see it starting with the presidency and then working its way down finally in the 2000s, 2010 at the state and at the local level state mm-hmm. houses really. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of people focus on the politicians and yes, like I said, a lot of them either died out, they got unseated, primaried out, lost their Republicans, or they became Republicans. So, yeah. yeah. So, Kevin, he even notes here, he says, first, it's important to note that, yes, the Democrats were indeed the party of slavery and in the early 20th century, the party of segregation, too. There are some pundits who claim this is some secret they've uncovered, but it's long been front and center in any U.S. history. And that's yeah. a whole separate thread that he goes off on that we're not even, we don't even <laughs> need to get into right now because that literally is the case. Like, that's what Democrats even... The so-called left in America, which is still not left, as we say over and over again, the Democrats are not a left party. But even they still have the sense to push for teaching the actual history of the U.S., and that's where the critical race theory debate comes in. And it's funny because, again, we could do an episode on that. We probably will. But the critical race theory thing, critical race theory actually is just a very technical legal thing that is only taught in, like, law schools. And somehow it made its way into just, like, the discourse. And now they're using that as basically, like, a, uh, a cudgel to just fight against teaching anything that makes white people sound bad or makes America sound like the racist country that it absolutely fucking always has been and will be until it fucking burns. But anyway, so let's get into, he says, first and foremost, of course, there's Strom Thurmond, the Dixiecrat presidential candidate who was welcomed into the GOP in 1964 and importantly allowed to keep his seniority and thus all the power that came with it in Congress. No other Southern Democrats were. So not only did this thing happen with individual politicians, but like they were given special latitude when they did this kind of shit. He says, before Thurmond, John Tower left the Democrats in the early 1950s and won election as the first GOP senator in the modern South. Tower spoke out against civil rights, joined with Southern Democrats to plot filibusters, and voted against the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act. Yeah. And he's including, like, newspaper clippings in all of these, too. There's, like, screenshots of all these, like, I don't know if this guy's sitting there with a microfiche in his, like, in his apartment, but he's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. Like, he's got all these newspaper clippings. He has it. He's coming yeah. with receipts. He has it all saved on a fucking file on his computer because he's just like, you know, just one day just went and found all these things and saved it because he knew that this was going to come up one day. (laughs) That's the other thing. Like, that's why I like being able to have a podcast and give this shit to people because I feel like what we should be doing as leftists is not reinventing the wheel all the time. Because if we're up against right-wing think tanks who are literally funded by billions of dollars and have all these these resources at their disposal, the least we could do is give each other these compilations of resources and everything to come back at this bullshit that we see all the time. So Kevin goes on, he says, the House was quicker to see changes. He said, Representative William C. Kramer, the first GOP representative in Florida, for instance, switched from the Democrats in 1949, won election in 1954, urged Ike to withdraw troops from Little Rock in 1957, and voted against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Representative Iris Faircloth Blitch, (laughs) she sounds like a blitch, (laughs) a segregationist who represented Georgia in Congress as a Democrat from 1955 to 62, left the party over civil rights in 1964 and campaigned for Barry Goldwater. She was a Goldwater girl, just like Hillary. (laughs) Yeah, also Republicans like to forget about Barry Goldwater. Tell us about him. So Barry Goldwater was uh, extremely reactionary, basically a fascist, in my opinion. Kind of pioneered that whole libertarian wing of the Republican Party. And he was a senator from Arizona, very powerful senator. I'm not sure, don't quote me, but I think that John McCain was the one that replaced him. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not he, but Goldwater was in there for a long time. But basically, when Johnson gets the civil rights and pushing the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act, Goldwater gets the Republican nomination and he's running 
exclusively on a state's right, quote unquote, state's rights platform in that state should decide if desegregation happened. Mm-hmm. So when he come, when Goldwater uh, is a Republican and when he comes to the deep South, he's literally welcomed with open arms, like the first Republican since reconstruction to be welcomed uh, in that way. And when he came to Montgomery, Crampton Bowl, the big football stadium here, they lined it with like cheerleaders and they had a parade and they had uh, flowers and they welcomed me, give this like really just race baiting speech about states' rights and how this, the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act is communism basically and all this other shit. He's adamantly, adamantly, adamantly anti communist, uh, wanted to escalate the war yeah. in Vietnam to the point where beyond the genocide that it was. And he's the first Republican to win deep South states. Like he literally, he won Arizona and I think he won. I'm not mistaken, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. And Johnson swept the other states. But he's the first Republican since Reconstruction to win a deep South state. And he won that solely on the fact that he was against integration. Mm-hmm. And he was for segregation. And he was an ardent segregationist as a Republican because of this whole quote-unquote states' rights issue, which we hear Lee Atwater say, is basically just a, a dog whistle for the N-word. So I was going to say, that's a perfect example of the, the Southern strategy that Atwater was outlining, which is just exactly. abstracted at least one level. Like you said, yeah. Sterling, it was hilarious in that Ancaps episode when we were talking about the Let's Go Brandon thing. It's like, no, this is like high-tier right-wing humor because they connected at least two dots. It's like, that's huge for them. Like, that's big. And that's why it's not going <laughs> yeah. away. Like, it cannot. Like, <laughs> that's the best thing, yeah. yeah. As long as you just abstract at one level because you can't make it too hard for the Republican. If you abstract it even like two or three levels, then they're like, um, that doesn't sound racist. I don't know if it's going to be hurting the libs. I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want that. Like, <laughs> Oh man. Uh, I'm scrolling through this list. I want to see if there's any more other interesting ones. There's an interesting one. Cause there's one of them still in Congress. Uh, my Senator in Alabama, who's, I think he's, he's, this is his last term is retiring. He's like in his eighties. Uh, Richard Shelby started his political career in the house of representatives as a Democrat in Alabama. And then, switched in the seventies and became a Republican and has been a Republican ever since. So you still have these dinosaurs fucking roaming around. And one of them is probably president. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 He just didn't switch parties. But one of them in Richard Shelby is one of the most powerful men in the U S Senate. So there's a, a guy, he's still around. He's still a Senator. Like I said, this is his last term he's retiring, but he has been in Congress since the 60s, I think, is when he, 50s or 60s, when he won his first seat in Alabama. And then, like I said, around the time, I think in the late 70s, early 80s, I think it was in the early 80s, Reagan, he became a Republican. What I find interesting is clearly the, the right misses the whole point of everything, even making the argument that it was the Democrats, because it's not about, okay, which party was it when slavery was a thing? It's about, do you disagree with slavery or not? Because every fucking policy that they support resembles a really quick way to get back to that. And it's like, mm-hmm. that, that's my thing. It's like, okay, if you think slavery is bad and you think oppression of people of color is bad, then put your fucking policy where your mouth is because everything you fucking draft sounds like that. Words, scroll back up to number 13. This is a good one. Like I said, he, this guy comes with receipts for like all of these. Click that picture because this is some fucking ridiculous shit. So. Number 13, Jesse Helms made the same transition. He'd grown up a Dem, helping Democrat Willis Smith run a race-baiting campaign for a Senate seat in 1950. See the ad below. When Helms ran for the Senate on his own in 1972, 
However, just like Lot, the former Dem ran as a Republican. And this is an ad for that Democrat Willis Smith, who Jesse Helms worked for. And so this is the ad. It says, white people, wake up real big. And it says, before it's too late, you may not have another chance. Do you want? And then it says, at the far left of this column, it says Negroes 10 times. And then it has this list. It says, do you want Negroes working beside you, your wife and daughters in your mills and factories, eating beside you in all public eating places, riding beside you, your wife and your daughters in buses, cabs, and trains, sleeping in the same hotels and rooming houses, teaching and disciplining your children in school, sitting with you and your family at all public meetings, going to white schools and white children going to Negro schools. It's literally just 10 ways to say existing, existing in the same place that you are. Like there's, yeah. On your, as your foremen and overseers in the mills, using your toilet facilities, they, they save that one for last. It's always the bathrooms of these people. But yeah, it's like, it's so And they probably fun. thought that was like cherry on top too. Dude, they yeah, were like, yeah, that's yeah. the, the toilet the bathrooms. Now get them going. <laughs> but then, I mean, it goes, it gets even worse than that, believe it or not, because what does he say? Northern political labor leaders have recently ordered that all doors be open to Negroes on union property. So this is also about unions. Like, that's the other thing about this. While he's anti-black, he's pro-union. Like, he's not saying that unions are bad. He's just saying this is going to happen if you're in a union. That's how they're going to get to you. That's how they're going to make you integrate because they have control of the unions. So do you want, as a proud union worker, do you want to have to tolerate black people existing in your society? Frank Graham favors the mingling of races. He admits that he favors mixing Negroes and whites. He says so in the report that he signed. For proof of this, read page 167, Civil Rights Report, as if that's such a bad thing. Like, and do you favor this? Want some more of it? If you do, vote for Frank Graham. But if you don't, vote for and help elect Willis Smith for senator. It's so fucking ridiculous, man. Dude, you gotta oh read God. off that last line. He will uphold the traditions of the South. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Wood. Thank you for pointing that out. And it's so hilarious. It's like... People in the South, conservatives, they want to act like these aren't dog whistles. Like, you know, just, well, I want lower taxes. I want fucking uh, states' rights and all these. The, these aren't dog whistles. This isn't, it literally was side by side. And you've only lost the things that you know damn well you can't say anymore. Nelson, you're the only single person here. I listen to your podcast. When you're on Tinder and you see Southern values in somebody's profile, what does that mean? <laughs> Race. <laughs> the race. I can change them. <laughs> I can, I can uh, fix them. Nope. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, I was looking up uh I wasn't on Tinder. I was looking up um I was like, you don't have like, to lie. I no, it's all right. Yeah, I found I found this guy. He's a oh. U.S. senator from South Carolina. <laughs> he it, like uh, he's got some Southern values. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that was his name. But no, it, later on we get talking more about the actual history of it. But definitive, like there's during this time, there's three distinct political parties. But I'll get into that later. And that was an example of of one of them. But yeah, we can keep going with this list of this truth bomb. Well, I mean, we can get into down. something else if you want to stop just. I don't want to make this episode into a listicle. I feel like we've kind of gotten <laughs> I, the point for us. Yeah, I, yeah, I <laughs> you keep reading the list. I think people got the message. No, I, I feel like the across like destroyed to Susan. There it is, the rise of the Southern Republican. There's the book. Yeah. Boom. If this was yeah. ju- if this was just like racist people were, you know, attracted to the Republican Party and you know, they're just like, Well, I, I do believe that, you know, I I'm a white male. I should have a better opportunity. I should get to take advantage of that because that's what this country was founded on. If you agree with that and that draws you to the Republican Party, that's one thing. 
and I know that's really bad and that sounds bad to put it that way, but um, where I'm going with this is what's worse is that the Republican Party turns people that don't think that way into thinking that way. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a club, and once you join it, there are rules. And it's like anything else. Like, you, you get in there, and you want to you wanna get along with the person beside you. And people don't just flip and be fucking racist overnight. They become racist because they're around family members that are always skirting the line already, and they drop it inward in, in a joke. And now, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I know my mom, or I know my dad, or I know my fucking uncle. They're not racist. They, they drop a couple, you know, off-color jokes here and there, but they're not racist. I know them. And that, that's kind of like the first step is once you let that not be a breaking point, once you have kind of taken away boundaries and making it more of a gradient, it's so easy just to accidentally go a little bit further every time you're hanging around with them. Next thing you know, you're hanging around a bunch of fucking proud boys and you don't even truly realize it's about what it's about until you're too fucking deep in the shit. And it's just like... We've got a political party, and trust me, the Democrats are so fucking bad for so many reasons, but the Republicans yeah. are literally a conversion chamber to turn people into fucking racist. It's basically like, look, help us win, and we will make sure you live a better life than the people of color. We're going to make it bad for them, but you're white, so it's okay. Life is hard. Let us make your life a little less hard. And that's yeah. crazy that people are willing to accept that trade to me. I also just think another good way to refute any of these arguments when people say like, oh, the Democrats are the party of racism. It's like, ask this person, so you think racism is bad? And then watch them fucking squirm because they don't. Like, they, they're yeah. fucking racist. So it's like, and then the other thing that they do then, everybody has probably seen the, those dudes marching around Washington lately. And that happened a couple of years ago with the Patriot Front. And they've got the white masks and they have like that, they have a uniform basically. And yeah. the defense on, at least from the right, is voiced probably the best by Joe Rogan, where he's like watching that video on his podcast and he goes, that can't be real. They must all be fed because they're not out of shape enough. It's like, all right. So <laughs> it's like either the, de- it's, it's never the Republicans. They're, they're not racist, but then when they are racist, it's actually not them. It's actually the government, you know, posing as them to make them look bad. Yeah. It's always a false flag. There still was not a single Trump uh, supporter at the January 6th rally. I'll tell you that. No, not one. It was Antifa. <laughs> Brother. I was there with Jimmy Pesto. Cancel culture's gone too far. Not Jimmy Pesto. <laughs> Not Jimmy Pesto. It's anti-Italian discrimination is what it, it is. It honestly broke my girlfriend's heart, who's a huge Bob's Burgers fan, and I sent it to her, and she was, like, just d- terrified. But, like, it's perfect for his character because Jimmy Pesto would totally That's be... That's what I said. Yes, I was like, absolutely. If, any, if anything, it's perfectly fucking accurate. Bob? <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, on the camera. Like, you, you shutting down early, Jimmy? I got places to be, Bob. I got to overthrow the government, Bob. What do you do with your stupid burger stand? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Fucking I hope Jimmy they play Pesto. that. I hope they tie that into his character. Like, he actually gets arrested on the episode or something. <laughs> great. Did he recently like, get arrested? I didn't even hear about this. No, yeah. So the guy who, the voice actor who plays Jimmy Pesto, got arrested. I, I think he got it. He sweeped up in it. I know for sure that they, they've kicked him off the show. Like, he's not voicing Jimmy Pesto anymore. So I don't know what they're going to do with his character. I think, mm. they should, I think they should have made him do one more episode where Jimmy Pesto, like, starts a riot and it gets out of hand and he gets arrested for it. That'd be yeah. great. Fantastic. But yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with, with Jimmy Pesto, who obviously votes Republican. <laughs> yeah, clearly, oh, yeah. clearly. His son's going to be devastated. 
Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> well, so I also wanted to bring up this other thing. Now that you bring up the um, the January six riders, so I, I screenshotted this thing that the Cars and Comrades posted earlier today, which had these two articles side by side. The one was records show most January six capital riders aren't getting sentenced to jail time, which of course surprise surprise because. I was very happy to see that like Jamie Penn has been arguing with this dude, fucking roof Korean. Who's like a, I guess some kind of like oh, online personality. God. And so he's been coming after her just doing his normal right wing harassment. And motherfucker has pictures of himself at the January 6th riots, like on his Twitter. That's like, all right, way to get yourself uh, in trouble. But what's up? Sorry. sorry. I just want to say one more thing on the whole fucking Republicans, Dixie cry thing. If you are a Republican and you believe in everything the Republicans believe in, you, you are a racist. I mean, that, that's just a fact. But more importantly, if you found out that it was the Republicans who were the party of slavery, quote-unquote, would that make you decide not to be a Republican? And I, I know a lot, a lot of them would love to say yes. And then I offer you this tidbit. A lot of Republicans own slaves. Just because you were a member of the Republican Party, if you were still in a state that allowed it, you were allowed to own slaves. And most of them that had money and the land to do it owned slaves. Yeah. The other article, alongside the record showing that January 6th writers were not getting jail time most of the time, uh, this one says, a Florida anarchist will spend years in prison for online posts prompted by January 6th riot. Now, I hear this subhead, especially in light of the recent verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse. Daniel Baker's calls for armed defense against possible far-right attack led to a much harsher sentence than that facing most insurrectionists. So this kid goes to jail for saying, maybe we as leftists living in a country where we have these people storming the Capitol, getting off with a slap on the wrist, and we have you know, things like Michael Reinhold being shot by the police and Trump saying, yeah, we got him. Didn't even need to arrest him. We just got him. Just took him out right in front of his fucking house, in front of his car. That kind of shit happens. And then you say, maybe we as leftists, uh, you know, seeing all the writing on the wall, <laughs> say we should defend ourselves and you get arrested for that. It's like, basically, that's, I guess, what is the larger point that we could make tonight is that all the telltale signs are here. If you are studying any of, like, previous histories of, like, fascist revolutions and socialist attempts to stop those fascist revolutions, you can see everything playing out exactly like it did in previous attempts at this. And you can see that the U.S. is getting further and further right. The Biden administration is not going to do anything to make this any better in the next four years. And as I keep saying on this, Trump is just going to walk into the office in 2024 if he is alive to do it. If he has a pulse and he can fog a mirror, he's going to be a president <laughs> again in 2024. And he's going to make this country so much worse. And so I hope you have some plans to get out right now because it's going to take you that long. Like, start looking at immigration policies. I mean, Trump's vaccinated. His hotels, most of his hotels have vaccine mandates to enter them. Like, he's going to make it through to that point and win it. <laughs> he's just snorting Adderall and fucking eating pounds of McDonald's. Freaking gallons of Diet Coke, but he'll fucking make it. And also on the, <laughs> on the slavery thing, let's keep in mind, again, slavery is not illegal in the United States. It is absolutely constitutional under certain conditions. Those primary conditions are for prison owners. Guess what fucking party, like 99% of fucking prison owners side with? What party they're affiliated with? It's fucking Republicans. Almost all modern day slave owners in the United States are fucking Republicans. And that is a fucking fact that there's no way to wiggle out of. Yeah. But you want to play this video, Ward? Because it's been making the rounds on all the podcasts I've listened to today and the other day. Oh, he gets booed, yeah. World star! We did something that was historic. We saved tens of millions of lives worldwide. We, together, all of us. Not me, we. 
We yeah. got a vaccine done, three vaccines done, and tremendous therapeutics like Regeneron and other things that have saved a lot of lives. We got a vaccine done in less than nine months that was supposed to take from five to 12 years. Because of that vaccine, because of that vaccine, millions and millions of people, I think this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917, where up to 100 million people died. This was going to ravage the country far beyond what it is right now. Take credit for it. Take credit for it. It's a great, what we've done is historic. Don't let them take it away. Don't take it away from ourselves. You're playing that, you're playing right into their hands when you sort of like, oh, the vaccine. If you don't want to take it, you shouldn't Funny be thing is he's right. Like, yeah, but and, take credit because we saved tens of millions of lives. Take credit. Don't let them take that away from you. Okay, so the president made news. Do you agree with that? Right? Both the president and I are vaxxed. And uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it too. Okay, so. Uh, they don't like yeah, that, man. They do not like that. <laughs> but more That's right. It's a very tiny group of it. More importantly is why he's advocating for it. Because he knows all of his voters are going out and committing suicide. Yeah, yeah, he's like, you gotta stop fucking dying because you gotta put me back <laughs> You gotta in stop office. dying and vote for me. It's gonna be the dead those numbers. vote, not the dead Democrats. <laughs> he's gonna come out supporting mail-in ballots, too, and be like, look, we're gonna pull <laughs> hey, all stops, baby. <laughs> and bring it all the way back around to episode one with mail-in ballots, buddy. Hell yeah. <laughs> We, we don't talk about those days, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Actually, watching that video, I'm glad you brought that up, because that makes me rethink what I was saying earlier. As much as I keep saying, like, it's his to take in 2024, I said that right before the 2020 election. I said there was no way that, like, Trump wasn't going to win unless it was due to COVID. And then look at what happened. Like, it yeah. was COVID. And, that was and it looks like that's just that working just ballots. as well. He told his fucking voters not to go, not to send in fucking ballots. Like, what the fuck? He had a slam dunk, and he took away, like, a third of the voting capability. Don't do it. Don't do it, folks. Don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't we'll send trust them. They're not good. They're, good. Do it. They're, not good. They're not good, folks. Someone who campaigned against voting fucking loss. Can you believe you, it? Bad votes. You, the Chinese votes. Who trusts paper? Who I don't trust votes. paper. I don't even, I can't even read, folks. I can't, I can't do it. They just tell me <laughs> what it is, and I just do it. I sign my name. <laughs> Best name. Oh, Republicans. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. All right, so I mean, unless Nelson, you want to give us some more details from the books that you've actually read on this topic. Like, if you want to detail some more stuff about the uh, rise of the Southern Republican, I feel like we've kind of made the point that the party switch was a myth is a fucking myth, and it's a very obvious lie told by the Republican Party. I'm just hoping that we gave our listeners enough ammo to combat. I mean, I feel like if they feel like looking up that tweet thread, it's a good resource right there. Like 200 different politicians that switched parties. I feel like that's pretty obvious. But what were you going to say? Sorry, nothing. No, we can talk about why they switch. Because like, if a Republican has half a brain, the counter argument would be like, well, why, why did they switch? And so to get into that, my, my rant about all this and talk about the classes and the books and whatnot, you have to really look at this from the beginning. And what I mean the beginning is there's a meme making its round, like all the way to the beginning of like the fucking, the creation. God created the heavens and the earth. And for some fucking reason, the soil in the deep south in the black belt is very fertile. And that, as we all know, is dialectic materialist that the material conditions shape the world around you. So then because the soil is rich, it's great for planting. Capitalists and colonialists come in. They drive off the indigenous population. They bring in slaves. They plant cotton. They make money. 
that fuels American capitalism, colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. So civil war happens, et cetera. So we go into Reconstruction. What happens in Reconstruction is the South is carved up into military districts, except for Tennessee. Tennessee is led back in the Union fairly quickly because a good portion of Eastern Tennessee fought for the Union. Western Tennessee sided with the Confederacy. Uh, so it's kind of like half and half. And I'll get into some of that later because not all the South was a Democratic stronghold. You have Mountain Republicans. I'll get into them later. So what you have in Reconstruction is the South being carved up into military districts. And to be let back into the Union, they had to accept the 13th Amendment. So they accept the 13th Amendment, abolishes chattel slavery, but as we all know, it allows for incarceration right. and slavery. And that, as, as Sterling eloquently put it, I feel like Sterling has a shirt that says the 13th Amendment is still for slavery or some sort. <laughs> Don't know that. I feel like it's Killer Mike on speed dial and he just talks to him <laughs> on the pace. They just rant about the 13th Amendment. Yeah, Killer, but, Mike, um, Killer Mike's still a revisionist, though. Fuck yeah, him. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you see, oh, real quick, did you see that thing where uh, there's a mortal technique used to uh, dunk what's his face, the dude who did Hamilton into fucking trash cans in high school? Oh, no. I absolutely ever, love dude. that. You know, and dude, within, that's fucking great. in like 20 years, we'll finally get that next album. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Wait, is a mortal technique actually a Marxist? Oh, absolutely. And the reason he has not put out an album recently is because he's literally on the ground doing mutual aid every yeah. goddamn day of his life. He is definitely yeah. he is definitely a Marxist. Uh, yeah, I don't. Did he ever actually come out and say like, I know he's talking about socialism, etc. He's big in anti-imperialist, anti-colonial work. He's um, he's never that I'm aware of actually claimed to be Marxist. But I mean, he's, yeah, he he drops socialists a lot, and then he's yeah. always anti-imperialist, yeah. uh, anti-colonialist. But mm-hmm. to, to get back to the South, like I said, Reconstruction South is part of military districts. It depends on who you ask. My opinion is that at that time, if you were going to have free and fair and open elections in the South, it was during Reconstruction at the barrel of a gun by Union soldiers. So basically, the Grand Army of the Republic occupied the former Confederacy and forced free and fair elections. And that's when you finally see former slaves running for office and getting elected. You had state representatives, you had some senators, uh, congressmen, you have a number of black people in Washington from the South, because black men, obviously women were not allowed to vote, white women or black women, indigenous women were not allowed to vote, being elected to office. That all goes to shit when Reconstruction ends. Reconstruction ends in the 1870s. Some crooked deal. It's a, if people want to look it up, look it up. I think there was, uh, it was contested elections in South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. And they made some deal where the end reconstruction will back you basically some backroom bullshit. So reconstruction ends and gradually those black Republicans, because at the time, yes, the Republican party was very progressive. The radical Republicans were in office. The ones that were staunchly anti-slavery, they in the South start getting replaced by Democrats, but it's not an automatic thing. What you have after Reconstruction, 1880s, 1890s, is the rise of, this, of the populist movement. And when you start having a fusion of poor whites, agrarian whites, and Southern blacks coming together and, and voting for a shared economic interest. And they're obviously not voting for Democrats. They're voting for Republicans. This shits the bed in the 1890s. And it's really when you see the death of any sort of populist uh, Republican integration ticket, right? 
because that's when you see like the Wilmington race riot. You see insurrections in the South of Southern Democrats, white racist Democrats, uh, taking back power in the South. Uh, in Alabama, for example, they literally rigged the election and stole it from the populist candidate. And what became the Jim Crow Democrats took power. Um, because that planter class, the former slave owners, the bourbon Democrats, as they're called, never left. They stayed. There was never this Maoist cultural revolution. There yes. was never these internment camps. They were never I mean, re-education camps. It, it seems weird that we're bringing this up out of nowhere like to, to talk about this topic tonight. But I have been hearing a lot of other leftist podcasts in the space talking about the end of the Civil War. Uh, Matt Chrisman most notably talks about this a lot. He read... Matt Chrisman got it from me. I'm the first person that fucking said oh, it. Oh, good. Fuck my dick. Um, <laughs> fucking uh, that fucking piece of shit at Chapo Trap House. Fucking, uh, I said on our podcast and a number of times that there needed to be some sort of Maoist-style cultural revolution in the South to do away <laughs> with... I've said for a long time, like, fuck Matt Chrisman, fuck Chapo, but fucking uh, the officer corps of the Confederacy should have been shot and Jeff Davis and his yes. cabinet should have been hanged. There should have yeah. been land reform, re-education, and there should have been a, I argued this in class, a Maoist-style cultural revolution. Because what happened is the South was able to rewrite history. And that's where you get the myth of the lost cause, et cetera. And we talked about that on our podcast. But um, so fast forward, basically 1900, 1910, 1920, you have the solidifying racist Jim Crow Black Codes Democrats, the Dixiecrats. They have the power. They've taken the power by force. They've rigged the vote. They are now solidified in the deep South, the rim South, the former Confederate States. They're in power. There's one exception. In Appalachia, in a lot of the uh, Appalachian areas of Southern These are the States, mountain Republicans. These are about? the mountain Republicans. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're mountain Republicans, obviously, because they're in Appalachia. So Eastern Tennessee, the mountains of South Carolina, North Carolina and parts of Virginia. They're mountain Republicans because they in that area voted against secession because they did not own slaves. They were poor, you know, they didn't have farms. They were just poor mountain folks, right? They were like, this secession's stupid. You know, we're not fighting. They were loyal to Lincoln and the party. 40,000 of them in Tennessee fought for the Union. You see them raise armies in other southern in other states because they were against secession. So they stayed mountain Republicans. And now a lot of them made deals with the Democrats in power that they were allotted maybe like one or two seats if they didn't cause trouble because mm -hmm. they could obviously have been taken out just because money and power and they could do whatever the Democrats could. So you have, I think it was like maybe like one or two seats from Congress from Tennessee. I think maybe North Carolina, South Carolina and parts of Virginia may have had one or two representatives, but for the most part, and the senators, where the Senate had most all the power really is in the U.S. government, uh, are Democrats from the South. If you're a Southern politician, you are a Democrat because they are the party of white supremacy. They have rigged the vote so that only white men and white women, after women get the chance to vote, are the ones who can vote and they're the ones that are in power. And they rule through terror and racial violence. What ends up happening on the other side of the, in the Republican Party around the time of McKinley, right? The Republican Party at that point ends its radicalness that was Lincoln. It has shed the party of Lincoln, right? 
it has become the party of big business. McKinley is best friends with the robber baron. Like he, he is pro business capitalist. He is not a fan of any sort of progressive movement at the time, antitrust, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. That is where the Republican party in the 1900s, when McKinley is fighting William Jennings, Bryan, who is the populist Democrat who wants all these economic reforms, et cetera, et cetera, return to like the, the gold and silver, free silver. The, he gives his cross of gold speech, the firebrand. He hates the robber barons. Him and McKinley duke it out. McKinley wins, obviously. The only reason a progressive Republican comes into power in Teddy Roosevelt is because McKinley's assassinated by an anarchist. <laughs> like, that's the only reason. Base. So Teddy, oh, yeah. Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> yeah, right. was literally put out to pasture as vice president, knowing that it's an appeasement to the dying progressive wing of the, of the Republican Party. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt comes into power, an imperialist piece of shit, but gives us domestically antitrust laws, et cetera, Taft, his successor, antitrust laws, et cetera. And then Woodrow Wilson comes back in because the Republicans can't get their shit together and you have a racist Democrat. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, you see the Republican Party slowly begin to embrace being the party of big business. And that is solidified basically. And who was the dude before Hoover? It was uh, fucking Cap Coolidge, right? So, no, no Calvin Coolidge, right? So like Calvin Coolidge, it's all good. So like Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, big, like, you know, yeah, business. Woo. And then they fuck up the economy, right? So what's happening in the South is the Southern politicians, especially the leadership of the Democratic Party at the time, they're racist pieces of shit. But they're not stupid, right? They understand that the South is poor. The poor mm-hmm. backwater, it's devastated from the Civil War, hasn't basically gotten any better. The roads suck, the bridges suck, the schools suck, like the infrastructure is bad. And they realize from the populist movement that if they give people an opportunity to join forces racially, white, poor whites and black people come together, that they can lose power. So they know how to appease the South economically. That's when you start having, you have like George Wallace, right? I'm fast forwarding a long way. So like George Wallace built Alabama's community college system, paved roads, bridges. And even before him, you start seeing kind of cracks in it with like Huey Long, right? In Louisiana, who actually was, you know, tarnished by other Southern Democrats for being too liberal on the race issue. And he is an economic populist and he's building roads and bridges and hospitals and schools. But he's like, you know, if, if black people want an education, they should be able to have an education just like white children, et cetera, et cetera. So he gets shot because, you know, only the course, but he gets shot. So you have big Jim Folsom in Alabama at the time in the 1950s talking about integration way before integration was a thing. He gets beat out by Patterson, who's a, a racist, and then Wallace, who's a racist. You have other Southern politicians, uh, Senator Eastling from Mississippi, who is the head of the Judiciary Committee and basically controlled who got on the Supreme Court, who got on courts in general. And if you had any whiff of integration on you, shot down for like mm-hmm. 20 years. This guy was like, no, not doing it. And uh, Paul Robeson mentions him in, at his HUAC trial that uh, why would any black man fight for people like Senator Easling of Mississippi? Because the man was a stone-cold racist. Yeah, You have... Uh, the governor, Eugene Talmadge of fucking Georgia at the time, a Democrat, literally arresting striking workers. And while they're in jail, going up and down the hallways, reading passages from Mein Kampf. Like the dude's a legit fucking Nazi. 
So you have this solid democratic South. What's happening also is the Republican party is becoming slowly, but surely becoming the party of big business. You have a third option, right? There's three political parties at this time. There's the Southern Democrats, there's the Republicans, and there's the Northern Democrats. The Northern Democrats at this time are very heavily influenced by the labor movement, right? They are pro-union. They are like the, what is going, they're the FDRs, right? They're very economically populist. They're pro-union. A lot of them are, don't really, the, the race issue either is not an issue. They don't talk about it. They're like, yeah, it's whatever, black workers, white workers, or they're for integration. So you have three different political parties going. You have Northern Democrats, Southern Democrats, Republicans. The Northern Democrats and the Southern Democrats align for FDR because FDR and that wing want to help the South with like the Tennessee Valley Authority, just economic populism. They were all for that. The Southern Democrats shot down anything FDR wanted to do when it came to race. But the Democrats wanted power, so they knew that they had to work with the Southern Democrats. So you have that going on. That's when the Democratic Party really starts shifting because you start seeing like, oh, we start helping people out economically. It helps everyone, right? So you start seeing the cracks in that the racism is starting to break down mm-hmm. because it's from like literally 1900 to 19, the 1930s before FDR. It is stone cold racist with like pockets of resistance, Right. FDR really starts shaking things up. And if you start looking at an uh, electoral college map, you can see the cracks starting to happen in the rim south, which is like, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, right? And the deep south has always been South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana. So FDR comes in with economic populism. But then you have Truman coming in as a Democrat, as a former Klansman, right? Desegregating the military. And that really pisses off Southern Democrats. Yeah. But even before that, I mean, that's literal white genocide, dude. You gotta, yeah, you gotta like be in the army with, yeah. with people of color, like you're yeah, being genocide, genocide right there. What, that's uh, as real as the Uyghur genocide. When I was on, <laughs> when I was on Twitter earlier, looking at uh, old Southern senators, the senator I wanted to bring up was uh, in 1944. You have Senator Burns from South Carolina, who's friends with FDR, and is tapped to be FDR's. VP to replace Henry Wallace, who was way too liberal for any Democrats. Guy was basically a socialist. He wanted to have peaceful relations with the Soviet Union, didn't want to drop the, uh, he was, uh, later on, he's against dropping the bomb on Japan. He's a socialist. He's not even a liberal. He's not, he's a socialist. So not bombing Japan is socialist. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, his economic policies basically saved the country, Henry Wallace. He was big into agriculture and he basically ended the Dust Bowl and saved American agriculture. Great guy. Really, he missed the presidency by like 60 days. He should have been fucking president. But uh, at the convention in 44, you have Wallace and Burns. The Northern Democrats refuse to even listen to the party bosses when they're like, oh yeah, Senator Burns needs to be the VP instead of Henry Wallace. They're like, no, because Burns makes his bones busting unions in the South. So they're like, no, fuck this guy. So the Southern Democrats are like, no, we're not fucking having Wallace. The Northern Democrats are like, we're not having fucking Burns. So the compromise is this dude who no one really knows, Truman, who ends up becoming president and desegregating the army. So that really... And bombing Japan. 
in bombing Japan. <laughs> Dark, did, did you say wait. Truman was a former Klan member? Yeah, Truman was a former Klan I member. Didn't, I didn't know that. that. Yeah, so Truman, yeah, his record, he, he was a member. Now, also, Hugo Black was a member who ends up becoming one of the most liberal Supreme Court justices who votes in favor of desegregation and Brown versus the Board of Education, like rules in favor of the majority. Weird. So it's weird because a lot of them used it for political gains because they had to in order mm-hmm. to become whatever. I still think it's fucking wrong and they're full of shit. But we have to look at like what they did. It's not like they're a Klansman, which is still obviously I'm not obviously fucking saying the Klan is anywhere good. It's fucking fascist organization and white supremacists. Oh, like they but, joined the Klan for a political gain. Yeah, they joined the I game. I thought you they, meant like yeah. they did that one particular thing that they did that was kind of anti-racist for political gain. Oh, no, they joined the Klan for political gain because at that time you had to, basically, because yeah. the Klan and the Democrats are hand-in-hand. They ran everything. So Truman becomes president, desegregates the army, and that's when you start really seeing the South getting pissed off because it all comes back to race because the Southern Democrats, the white Southern Democrats are only in power because they have disenfranchised black voters that is the only reason they're in power you have counties in the south that are majority black you have congressional districts in the south that are majority black but they are not allowed to vote so therefore white democrats are in power yeah just because this truman thing that was something i didn't know so i like googled it real quick and there's something really fascinating about it not that it's not already fascinating but it says a young Harry Truman allegedly joined the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s, but is said to have ended any association with them after being warned not to appoint any Catholics. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's where he draws the line. Yeah, that's where he draws the line. Like, uh, like you know, we don't want any of those damn blacks up in here. But yeah. you, really, I can't bring my Catholic right. buddies. <laughs> I can't bring my Catholic friends. What? Uh, looking at you, Oregon, you shithole of a state. <laughs> anyway, so I got, I've probably said Truman desegregating the army like a thousand times. So I'm going to pass but still, that. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. Like, yeah, it's a huge thing because it shows that like this institution, be it an imperialist fucking horrible institution. Uh, can still be woke. Can still be quote unquote woke, right? So this happens and then Truman loses and you see... Another big thing happened, and that is the solidarity between the anti-union Southern Democrats and our party of big business, the Republicans, voting in favor of the Taft-Hartley Act and then coming back in solidarity and overturning Truman's veto. So the Taft-Hartley Act basically guts unions, creates right to work. It's a horrible fucking piece of legislation that is the sole reason why the labor movement is and shatters like it is now and makes oh, it yeah. so we keep hard talking about it on the Walter yeah. Ruther series. Exactly. So like that you see right there, a joining forces and a foreshadowing things to come that Southern Democrats who are adamantly anti-union and Republicans who are adamantly anti-union coming together and fucking unions. So you see that happen. Then Eisenhower becomes president. Yes. Yeah, what's up? I just want to say I'm I'm finding it very hard to even fantasize about like even halfway decent political accomplishments actually occurring <laughs> like in our generation like literally the only thing that ever happens is really bad shit. It's yeah. a, I can't remember the last time anything passed that was not really bad shit. So it's like when I hear about these people who had these accomplishments that were in some way you know, good for the country. It just, 
It, it sounds Seriously, like a fantasy. It's, it really does. It's Obamacare and gay marriage. Those are the only two accomplishments that Democrats have in recent memory. Is fucking horrible. It's garbage. worse yeah. than not having Obamacare. I'm not, I'm not saying they're actually <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm just saying like. And gay marriage was the Supreme Court. Like it, it was not an act of Congress. Like it, yeah. it's the Supreme Court in Oberfeld. No, I mean. Those are the only two things they have going for them, and they don't even have those. The, de- yeah. the Dems have fucking nothing. Like, nothing. if you're a Democrat in this day and age, like, just put on the clown mask, just put on the shoes, and the whole yeah. wig. Just yeah, they they don't even talk about like it, it's not even anymore. I will make Roe v. Wade law. It's just like you can buy another four years. You want to yeah. keep keep that subscription <laughs> going? This <laughs> bitch renews every four years. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, it gets worse. So. I want to emphasize this solidarity and being pro-business because it's important later on. Because one thing that needs to be noted is that Southern Democrats and the South in general hate fucking taxes. They've always hated taxes. They don't want to fucking pay taxes. It's like literally joked about, Johnson jokes about it with his Southern Democrat friends are like, oh, we're going to raise our taxes. And Johnson's like, what the fuck are you talking about raising taxes? When does the South ever pay taxes? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, they are worse than slavery, so. Yeah, exactly. But why the South <laughs> didn't pay taxes, it goes back to what I said about how Southern Democrats were fucking racist, but they weren't stupid. They controlled everything. And I bring this up because what I'm going to say later on about Southern Republicans being literally fucking stupid. Southern Democrats were able, through the corruption, and because they controlled literally everything, they controlled the House of Representatives from like the 40s to 1994. Like all those decades, 60 yeah. years almost, 50 years was controlled by the, the Democrats. The Senate went back and forth a bit. But because they were so powerful, because the Southern Democrats controlled Congress, basically, they were able to funnel so much money into the South. South didn't need to fucking pay taxes because they were just robbing shit blind. Like that's the whole joke is that Louisiana, the most corrupt out of all of them, every time that the federal government was like, oh, Louisiana needs to pose us this much, they'd be like, yeah, fuck you, we're not paying it. Uh, they were able to work the system so well that they would get all this money for inter- infrastructure programs and roads and bridges and schools, et cetera, et cetera. They use the corruption and power to do this. So going forward, you have Eisenhower in office and Eisenhower really does not care about integration really as a Republican and Brown versus board of education happens. And that is used as fuel in the South to really just stir the pot with the fucking racists. So it's when you really start seeing the firebrand foaming at the mouth racist that you saw in the 1910s and 1920s coming back because of Brown versus the board of education and because of school integration in the fifties and sixties, et cetera, going into the 1960s, you have Johnson, a lifelong Southern Democrat. This man literally is the definition of an opportunist and also like a career politician. Johnson in the forties and fifties before he became vice president is president pro tem of the Senate. He is the top dog. The one funny story that we heard in class was that Johnson was literally registering dead people to vote for one of his Senate races in Texas. Taking There's, a page out of the Biden no, playbook. No, it's, no it gets better. Right. It gets better. It gets better. So he's registering dead Americans in Southern Texas to vote. They somehow stumble into Mexico and start registering dead Mexicans. And then one of his aides tells Senator Johnson at the time, uh, Senator, we've stumbled into Mexico. These are Mexican graves. And Johnson says, and I quote, they have the right to vote just like the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives you any, like, like Johnson doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to win. Yeah. So you have Johnson 
in the 1950s gutting any sort of civil rights act that comes through. And people forget that there are civil rights acts, I think, of 1957 and 1959 that Johnson guts. And that's why Martin Luther King didn't trust him is because he went to Johnson's like, Johnson, you gutted these civil rights acts. We don't trust you. Johnson then sees the writing on the wall and what's going to happen, the changing demographics, and knows that if the Democrats want to have any sort of political power in the future, they need to pass the Voting Rights and Civil Rights Act. So Johnson, as a Southern Democrat, knows how to work the Senate, splits the bills, gets them passed. And his famous quote is, as I sign these laws, I've lost the South for a generation. Because he knows right when these laws are passed, the South is going to gradually switch. He sees this. He's like, I know this. I'm a Southern Democrat. This is my bread and butter. I worked with all of y'all. I know you're racist. But Johnson, as a career (laughs) politician and opportunist, sees the writing on the wall and knows what's going to happen. So his words came true. He starts to gradually lose the South. Because, like I said, Barry Goldwater, Republican, like the fuck Republican, hates fucking Democrats, hates communism, fucking hates FDR, pro-states rights. This guy's fucking insane. He gets the Republican nomination on a states' rights issue. He campaigns on stopping integration. He campaigns on desegregation being a communist plot on states' rights, which we heard Lee Atwater say is another racist fucking dog whistle right out of the horse's mouth, comes to the deep south, is welcome in open arms, and Goldwater wins Arizona, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. He wins Arizona because he's their home senator. He wins the deep south because it's the most racist fucking place. They vote for a Republican. So then you really start seeing the cracks. And then fast forward because you have, for the first time since Reconstruction, black people being elected as Democrats to positions of power. Slowly but surely, because black people are now allowed to vote, they win. What party in the South do they choose? They're fucking Democrats. If the party switch is fake, if this shit doesn't happen, then why are black people voting for Democrats? Why are black people running as Democrats? We know why. Because they understand that the Republican Party has nothing to offer them economically. They know that FDR, they know that Johnson, they know that these politicians, be them Democrats, were the ones who pushed for these laws to be passed, were the ones that pushed for economic benefits, and were the ones that pushed for the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act. So then you have, I'm not going to go into it because it's extremely confusing with preclearance and everything that goes on with uh, how districts were carved up and gerrymandering, et cetera, et cetera. But just from 1965 to Shelby versus Holder in 2013, any type of redistricting that was in the South and pre-clearance states had to go through the Department of Justice or the D.C. District Court. And so there was one or two options. Um, I'll get into that a bit later. The modern day, what we know as the quote-unquote party switch, when the South starts to become solidly red, really starts with Nixon. Because Nixon sees the Democratic Party fracturing between Humphrey and then after Humphrey, it's uh, McGovern, the Mm -hmm. the McGovern, the very liberal wing. Everyone knows the images of the 68 Democratic Convention in Chicago where the cops are fucking busting skulls and Bill Oaks is playing and it's a fucking riot. Because the Southern Democrats are like, fuck these hippie communists. And then the liberal wing of the Democratic Party is like, fuck these fucking racists. 
but they need each other to stay in power. And McGovern fucking gets slaughtered by Nixon because in 72, Nixon tells Southerners, I, I, uh, you, want, I, you, want, you want law and order. I'm the law and order candidate. You know, uh, the Democrats are communists and blah, blah, blah. That's a good Nixon. Yeah, no, like, that's, that's yeah. Nixon's my best. So Nixon's like, Agnew. <laughs> Wait, were you a Futurama fan as well? Oh my God, yes. That's that was what, the yes. fucking That'll best. do it. Still, so, still. so Nixon, we have Richard Nixon here from Beyond the Grave. He's, Agnew, don't worry about your taxes. It's not going to matter. You need, to go, you need to go down south and tell them they need to vote for the Republicans. So what you have is the beginning of the Southern strategy with Nixon embracing this like law and order um, they're a bunch of drugged up communists. <laughs> uh, my little dog checkers. Are... I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not. That's what he does. There's speeches at Nixon's like, I'm the law and order candidate. You know, everything you hear, Nixon, Reagan fucking says it, Trump fucking says it. It starts with Nixon. He begins the Southern strategy because he sees the disenfranchised, he sees the, I don't want to say disenfranchised, but fucking, I don't know what the word I'm looking at, the pissed off Southern whites that voted for the racist Democrats in order to stay in power to get their way being completely turned off by the progressive liberal wing of the Democratic Party, what the Democratic Party is becoming because of the economic policies of FDR and then later the social policies of Johnson. Yeah. Nelson, are you telling me that people were getting increasingly um, radicalized by exacerbating economic conditions? I know. And I know. Since, since the culture, I mean, since the political system can't address those issues because it would be against the core ideology of how the, the class structure works, that they just keep feeding them culture issues and make them more and more angry until we get, you know, all kinds of uh, unrest. And, and Listen like, here, you, you drugged up communists. <laughs> <laughs> Are you agents of Moscow? <laughs> I'm going to tell, yes. tell Kissinger about you and we're going to coup d'etat this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm sending my agents in to bug your homes now. Oh, I said that. Burn the tapes. Burn all the tapes. <laughs> It's also kind of really telling, as a Republican, you should see that your argument does not stand for the thing you think it stands for. When you say, you know, people of color, black people are voting for the Democratic Party and that was the party of slavery, they're idiots. No, they are voting for the quote-unquote party of slavery over your party. How fucking bad must your party be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a particular TikToker that I haven't, I, mean, I think maybe he got banned, but he was a, a Republican and his whole spiel was the party switch. And he would go into all these things. What needs to be addressed? He would be like, well, the Republicans voted for it more than the Democrats. Just looked it up. One, it's a Democratic administration. Two, people don't really understand how powerful, like the Senate's powerful. It was more powerful back then. You think the filibuster is bad now? It was horrible back then. Literally, that song that goes a handful of senators won't pass legislation is because Southern Democrats worked in pods of three and they would literally get up there and talk for hours in pods of three. One senator would take a few hours, next senator until literally they were like, yeah, fuck it. We're not going to vote on this. There's pictures of them with their feet up on their desk laughing because they know that any sort of civil rights, any sort of progressive social issue is dead on arrival in the Senate. Because they, Mitch McConnell wishes he had the power that the Southern Democratic bloc had at the time. And it wasn't until the filibuster was reformed that it went from two-thirds to three-fifths 
and even more that Southern Democrats lost their hold. So history shows us that the filibuster, one, is bullshit, and two, needs to be reformed for anything to get passed. But I digress. The Johnson administration, Democratic administration, pushes the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act. A Democrat in the House introduces, I believe it's the Voting Rights Act, uh, a Democrat and a Republican introduce the Civil Rights Act. So most of the people that pushed for this thing were Democrats at the leadership. That needs to happen because the bottom will fall in line. Johnson has the clout and the power to get this through the Senate if a Democrat pushes for it in the Houses of Congress, right? So a Democratic administration does this. If it wasn't for John, like, I don't want to give this man this much credit because he's a fucking imperialist piece of shit. But Kennedy was not going to get the shit passed. Johnson was going to get the shit passed. And I think really if he hadn't been the warmongering asshole imperialist pig that he was, he probably would go down as one of America's better presidents. But because of the Vietnam War, he's a fucking piece of shit and he, he loses and he fucking dies of a heart attack in like 71, 72. Weak. Weak. Mm-hmm. But fucking, he's too much blood in his big old dick. That's what causes it. Let's not forgive Kidney. Yeah, Kennedy's <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're all pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sterling. We all, yeah, Sterling. Yeah. Oh my God. Nah. Sterling is that leftist that comes in. He's like, actually, really. Oh, we need to all bad. Yes, we get it. Every we get one the of them are they're bad. all fucking it's bad. All- every Ooh. one of them. Yes, everyone. And this particular thing in this very type <laughs> of U.S. history that literally had a fucking 200 whatever fucking years, this little slice between 1964 and 1965, Johnson did a good thing. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Critical support for Johnson for this one thing, this one issue in this one time period. I get it. You know, Chairman Gonzalo, yes. (laughs) The fucking pig's head's going to end up. He's been hanging out in those ultra forums too much. It's ultra forums. Oh, yeah. But... Yes, there were liberal Republicans at the time, just like they were liberal Democrat, just like they were conservative Republicans and the conservative Democrats. What happens is over time, the Democratic Party as a whole becomes more like FDR, kind of, or to the right of FDR. And it breaks from the traditional Southern racist Democrats and becomes the Democratic Party that the Northern Democrats were, right? The Republican Party continues on this track of being the pro-big business party. It never loses that. It stays the party of big business, anti-union big business. Black voters in the South see that, and they overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Black politicians run as Democrats. If the Republican Party is still the party of Lincoln, and before anyone comes at me, as an Alabamian, spent 31 years of my life in Alabama. I have worked on Democratic campaigns back in the day before I became enlightened. I have listened and talked to a number of elder black voters, organizers, politicians. They all say the last Republican that black people voted for was Lincoln. <laughs> the last fucking Republican that they ever would have voted for was fucking Lincoln. After that, fuck them. Right? Obviously, they voted for like. Grant and things like that, because Grant was the probably the last Republican who actually cared about race issues, sending the army down to crush the Klan a number of times. But that being said, like the Republicans, when they're like a party switch didn't happen, they're basically saying black people are too fucking stupid to vote for their own self-interest. And that shows their racism. 
black people know what they're doing. They voted for their self-interest, just like white Southerners voted for their self-interest because along comes everyone's favorite fucking president, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Ronald six, Wilson six, Nancy, Reagan six. Nancy, Nancy, the devil. Nancy, where am I? Give me that. Give, give me that. Give me that Gluck Gluck 9000. <laughs> Nancy, where's Mr. Bobo? Where am I? Gorby, where are you? <laughs> that fucking racist piece of shit. Reagan kicks off his 1980s uh, presidential campaign at a speech in Philadelphia, Mississippi to white Southerners with Confederate flags, the same Philadelphia, Mississippi, where the three civil rights workers were murdered, which is the basis for the movie Mississippi Burning. Uh, it's a famous FBI case. Mm-hmm. Like, he kicks off his campaign there, right, with white people in Confederate flags. Yep. If that doesn't fucking tell you what's about to fucking happen, then maybe, mm-hmm. then maybe <laughs> listen to every one of his other following campaign <laughs> speeches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when you have the devil himself, Lee Atwater, come into play. And Reagan starts preaching this whole, you know, America, economics, less government. I mean, the government that fucking the worst thing any fucking modern president has said, you know, the worst thing to hear is I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help. Like mm. that whole libertarian mindset starts coming into the yeah, Republican killed, Party that just started that under Goldwater. Yeah, I mean, he really fucking took that shit yeah. and ran with it. He was doing... He was like one yeah. of the first that went to those like huge like Christian and Catholic uh, forums and did speeches at those and basically was was the first to really drive down hard about you know quote unquote Christian values and honestly I think Reagan played a very big role in developing what Christian values would be moving forward which is white nationalism and what happens in 1984 when he obliterates Walter Mondale he wins the South. All Southern states in the 1984 election go to Republican Ronald Wilson Reagan, the devil, and his <laughs> devil accomplice, Lee Atwater. Okay? Literally, I have it right here. It, look, literally the only state that fucking Mondale wins is Minnesota. The solid, fucking melon ballot bullshit up South. there. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, the solidly Democratic South for so long was won by a Republican. And in 1980, let's see, when he has to run against Jim Carter, same, 1980, the only Southern state he loses is Georgia, Jimmy Carter's home fucking state. Before that, 1976, let's see. All right, so Jimmy Carter, as a Democrat, wins the South. After 76, it is solidly, solidly Republican. Why? Because Reagan comes in and embraces that libertarian, free market, capitalist, anti-communist bullshit that Goldwater starts, right? And it's a top-down approach. The Republican Party knew that it couldn't really break the Democrats' hold on congressional and Senate seats just yet, but it could break the Electoral College. And it did that beautifully with Ronald Reagan, because what Reagan does is he goes into the South again, just like Nixon did, and says the Democratic Party is leaving you economically as more white people enter the middle class, their economic agendas, their values economically change. And you see that in the suburb 
and white flight. You have white people leaving the cities in droves to the suburbs. And those suburbs are extremely conservative, right? And what political party nationally at this time is becoming more and more economically conservative? Fucking Republicans. So what you see is that white Democrats don't want to necessarily call themselves Republicans, so they call themselves independents, Mm -hmm. but they vote Republican. So that's the beginning, really, of the party switch. What this means, the values of the parties don't necessarily change all that much. The Democratic Party is not some fucking left-wing Marxist fucking party, right? It is a liberal capitalist bullshit fucking party. The Republican Party is moving closer to fascism, but at this time is still itself a liberal capitalist fucking party. They're the two different wings of the same bird. That whole analogy, right? There's two sides of the same coin, whatever the fuck you want to call it. That's what's happening. So people start looking at this economically and saying that, okay, which party then has my self-interest? Black voters in the South say the Democratic Party because they are seen as a party of the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act. They are the party of FDR. They are the party of economic populism. The white people who are now losing political power and losing economic power see the Republicans and Ronald Reagan as their saving grace because even as Southern Democrats, they fucking hate unions and they fucking hate paying taxes. Which political party fucking hates taxes and fucking hates unions. The Republicans. Okay? So the Republicans. They, the, Republicans. Republicans. The, the Republicans. Oh, God. That's the worst thing anyone's ever called me is fucking sounding like Bill Maher. <laughs> no, no. It's just because he always uses that as a Republican. Yeah. It's uh, who is that comedian that makes fun of him? Like, uh, no, the Republicans. Like, the Republicans. Like impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fucking the Southern whites hate the government they hate taxes they hate unions ronald reagan comes in lowers the top marginal tax rate to what like 25 percent, right fucking guts unions the air traffic controllers union starchly anti-communist america fuck yeah guns freedom and and apple pie right god he's the he's the hegelian synthesis of all of this like he <laughs> yeah. really is he, he is america like ronald reagan is america so like White voters see that. They've moved out of the cities into the suburbs. They like that white picket fence bullshit. They don't want taxes. They hate unions. They hate city, urban life, black people, Mm -hmm. what they hate. And they see this in Ronald Reagan as their savior. So they start voting in droves. While they're not necessarily calling themselves Republican, they call themselves independent, which literally any white person that calls himself independent is still sus to me. But fucking every time. Yeah, every time. And so they start voting for Republicans. And then the 90s come along and you have Newt Gingrich, who is human skin with like hundreds of newts in him in a suit. (laughs) He is the devil. You have Newt Gingrich and you have Lee Atwater, who's still alive at this point. Right. So Lee Atwater, I think he dies in the early 90s. And why he is such a political genius is because of this. He's evil, but he's a fucking genius. And the, it's why the Democrats are so fucking incompetent is because Lee Atwater, just like Johnson saw the writing on the wall, Lee Atwater saw the writing on the wall and that he could take the South and that the South was changing. But he needed to make sure that 
black people could continue to be disenfranchised, but it not be the racist rhetoric of the past. And that's what he's saying uh, when he says, you know, goes from the N-word to states' rights and busing to lower taxes. So he sees this. He knows this in his head. So how does he implement this? He creates what is known as the unholy alliance. I know there's a lot of, he, he is the devil. He really is the fucking devil. And it literally is called the unholy alliance. He creates this unholy alliance with the Democrats. Mostly while like the blue dogs or something like, no, 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 no. While black Democrats never really reached leadership positions at this time, he knows that at this time, free clearance is still a thing. So what that means is that anytime Southern states, mostly Southern states, have to redraw their congressional districts. They have to have a majority minority district and they have to run their districts through the department of justice, the attorney general or the DC federal court. So when a Republican is in power, they just go to the DOJ and the attorney general because the Republicans and they'll change it. Right. If uh, it goes back and forth, it's this weird thing that it's very interesting. So what happens is, is that Lee Atwater makes this unholy alliance with Democrats Unfortunately, a lot of it's black Democrats who are in not leadership positions, but are elected officials and that are in state houses that make up a good chunk of Democratic parties uh, in the South and says, like, y'all want to stay in power and y'all want to have congressional seats and you don't want to lose these seats. And the Democrats, white and black, are like, yeah, we don't want to lose these seats. Like, we want to keep it. So Lee Atwater, I'm not one to get into the specifics of it because I'm kind of shady on them. My professor explain this. And uh, if people want to look up Lee Atwater and the Unholy Alliance, you can look it up. Basically what happens is in, in the Voting Rights Act, what Lee Atwater knew, and I don't know how other people didn't know this, is that if a majority minority district is created, which in Alabama, it's the seventh congressional district, right? It has to have a certain percentage of black voters. That percentage can never decrease. It can only increase. So what Lee Atwater tricked basically Democrats to do was to pack as many black voters into these single districts as possible because he was like, oh, you'll never lose these seats. You'll always have the seventh congressional district in Alabama. And the Democrats were like, oh, yeah, you're right. The white leadership was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And the black representatives were like, yeah, you're right. I'll always have my seat. I'll never lose this seat. But what happens is because you pack these majority minority districts, as many black voters as you can, that number can never decrease. So if it's if the seventh district in Alabama, for example, is 70% black, it can never decrease when you redraw the district lines. So you're going to have six districts that are going to be majority white and stay majority white and one district that's going to be majority black because by law it cannot decrease. So that is the genius. Does that make sense? That's the genius of Lee Atwater. He tricks the Democrats into allowing gerrymander to happen basically. Because he knows that white people in the South are voting more Republican. And he knows that if black voters are allowed to spread out outside of these majority minority districts, they will form alliances with white liberals and Republicans will not win these districts. So what does he do? He tricks them basically in this unholy alliance and says, no, we won't, you know, challenge any of these seats. We won't as Republicans that control the DOJ and the attorney general well, let these districts go. We won't, you know, this preclearance, we won't make you redraw these districts if you, you know, keep packing them full of black voters. And the Democrats not necessarily having the foresight to see what's happening are like, yeah, we'll do that. So you have one district that's overwhelmingly black, but in Alabama, six, 
that are overwhelmingly white, knowing that those white people are never again going to vote Democrat. So yeah, the Democrats have one congressional seat. The Republicans have six. And if anyone knows, the Democrats like made a concession and got some kind of short-term gain and lost like huge ground for decades to come. Nah. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? That is exactly what happened. It would never. And it shows the utter fucking incompetence of the Democratic Party. And black Democrats were the ones that were the when they figured out what Lee Atwater was doing, they were like, "Hey, right, wait a minute. Whoa, hey, come on. This is, wait, this is, well, but the white leadership was like, oh, no, no, stop. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and because, unfortunately, black Democrats were not in leadership positions, they couldn't really change anything. So that's what the fuck happened. Like, it's, that's why you have, like, one black representative in the southern states now, and the rest of them are majority white. Because of Lee Atwater's devilish and the unholy alliance between the Democrats, unfortunately, black and white Democrats, and Lee Atwater. Lee Atwater dies of brain cancer because brain cancer did one good fucking thing in its existence. Uh, hey, too, John McCain. John McCain, too, yes. <laughs> that is true, yes. I will say, uh, Nelson, like, that's all, that was all very interesting. Like, it was exactly what I wanted you to come here tonight and do, yeah. was to explain the history in detail, because I have, like I said, a very rough outline in my mind of, like, how this all works, but I feel like it still doesn't kind of refute that if like the Cowboys just put feathers on their heads, like <laughs> they're still bad. Like, I'm no, sorry, bro. But no, uh, there's still, there's still a little bit left. There's still, we got to get to 2010. So oh, okay. real quick, long story short, the Republican revolution happens in 1994. The Republicans sweep Congress, right? They take back the house for the first time in fucking decades because Newt Gingrich and the Republicans heavily focus on the suburbs, which are overwhelmingly white. And I'm going to tell everyone that's listening that if you can get this book, The Rise of the Su- if you want to take on your racist fucking uncles, read The Rise of the Southern Republican by Earl and Merle Black. They're brothers. They're both political scientists, PhDs, professors in the South. They're not Yankees. And they write specifically about the rise of the Southern Republican from Nixon, Goldwater to George W. Bush. Kind of sad because the ending is really, you know, oh, we can now have, you know, an open elections and there'll mm-hmm. be a competitive South because it's pre-2010. They use, it's not just theoretical. I want to, Republican, statistically, you know, Ben Shapiro, statistically, <laughs> the Black Brothers use statistics, data, and they show the party switch happened. So basically, long story short, Gingrich goes into the suburbs and says that racist dog whistle shit. There's a quotes in this book from Gingrich saying the suburban population does not want the urban problem coming into suburbia. The urban problem being single mothers, the urban problem being apartment complexes. They don't want buses to come into the, everyone knows what the fuck he's talking about. They don't want black people in fucking suburbs. The Republicans will be like, he didn't say that. Well, we heard Lee Atwater right out of the fucking horse's mouth what this shit really means. They're dog whistles. And if I I could find the direct quote, it's extremely racist because he's saying, without saying black people, he's saying single mothers who can't raise their children, who Mm -hmm. will then come into these suburban places and cause trouble. We are also anti-union. We want low taxes. So it's playing into that racist sentiment of white conservatives who used to be Democrats now are saying we're independent. And now they're like, yeah, we're fucking Republicans. Mm. This culminates in 2010, where you have the Republican Party sweeping state houses. And that is the final nail in the coffin 
for any sort of Democrats in the Southern state houses until kind of recently you see kind of a bit of a resurgence, but that 2010 because of Obama being elected in 2008, anyone who lived in the South in 2008 knows how fucking racist Republicans were still are, but really you see it come out from 2008 to 2010. They were not too happy. They were not happy at all. 2010 really is the final nail in the coffin with, uh, especially in Alabama with Mike Hubbard and the Republicans taking back the Alabama state house, right? The first time since reconstruction Republicans took power. And that really solidifies the party switch because the party switch is a top down thing where they got Southern whites to vote for their best interest economically by throwing out racist dog whistles that culminates to them voting for Republicans who are the party of big business, low taxes, anti-union. As white people became more and more economically, uh, they climbed the economic ladder and became the middle class and upper middle class, they became more Republican because the Republican Party fit their interests. And they're also fucking racist. I think that's probably the best way to say it is that like both parties are the parties of racism. It's just the Democrats are the party of dressing up that racism as if it's not the case. And the Republicans are the party of outright racism. And then to be able to build this lie that Democrats are the party of actual outright racism and the Republicans are not racist, it only works because it's also built on the other lies that Republicans all believe. And it's like it goes all the way back to the American Revolution. It's like you can believe all these other lies if you believe that America was founded on rebelling against taxation and it was just about like freedom from tyranny. When in reality, it was about keeping slavery because England wanted to get rid of slavery. And the U.S. made all their bones off of that. Like they needed slavery because it was going to collapse without that free labor. And so right from the outset, you have the right wing patriotic nationalist narrative of America being built on a foundation of lies. And it just builds up from there. I know we've been talking about I know I've been saying some good things about the Democrats. I know you really want to just just rant. So I know you I can see in your face. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I don't think anybody on no, the Democrats to this podcast like, thinks that we have any kind of favorability for the Democrats. Like, fuck yeah, but. the Democrats fucking suck. Yeah, I'm trying to find this fucking quote. Yeah, I mean, like, for, it's fucking it's fucking beautiful. For decades now, the Democrats have known how gerrymandering works, why gerrymandering works. They have chosen not to do anything about it because they serve the same class interests. I mean, it's the same, it's the same fucking party. That's why I just, I don't give too much of a fuck if someone tells me they're Republican or Democrat. I'm just like, okay, like you just want to fucking suck Elon Musk's dick. I don't yeah. give a fuck <laughs> what color the dick is. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing. It's like, it ultimately is the responsibility of the Democrats because like you're saying, Nelson, and like we say repeatedly on this podcast, like you keep saying how they're incompetent. And it's like, we just say over and over again, they're not failing. They just don't work for you. They know exactly what they're doing. They may even realize that they're making that concession that nets them some immediate gain and loses them seats for the next five decades, but they don't give a fuck because they don't have to. Like that literally is not the motivation that exists in capitalism is to think long term. You have to go to communism. You have to go to China if you want five and 10 year plans. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's at this point, I feel like even most Republicans can get their head around that the economic system we have favors the crooked and corrupt. I mean, most Republicans can see that you don't become a Jeff Bezos because you were just really good at at treating your employees fairly. I I think most people can agree that capitalism, no matter what all of the pros are that they believe in, definitely favors 
those who are willing to take the most risk, both economically and morally. Yeah. So what surprises me is that they can't come to the same consensus on politicians. Because if you are a politician in a capitalist economy, you have to play ball by the same rules. Your donors play ball by the same rules. Every facet, every corner of this country is predicated on making the most capital. So why does it surprise you to find out that your politicians are corrupt and that they adhere to the will of their biggest donors? I mean, it, it's just, it blows my mind because it, it seems like as a leftist, just in the last couple of years since I've really started like opening up and taking, you know, my political education more seriously, it's like going from one to a hundred. And I'm not saying I'm at, I'm at a hundred. There are definitely, I mean, on a scale of like me to the most educated leftist I've personally talked to, if I'm hitting 20 or 30, I'm very happy with that. But it's like this huge scale, like a, a big jump that I feel like I've taken as far as my own political education. And then I, I look at these Republicans and Democrats that are just like playing with a margin of a percent. And it's like your entire... You're going to say they're playing with marbles. They might as well be. But... <laughs> yeah, might, as, yeah. might as well be. It's like every leg up on the Republicans you're trying to get as a liberal is completely asinine. Like you're really trying to dunk on them and you don't realize the fallacy of your own political party's agendas. You don't realize that... Bro, imagine, <laughs> imagine trying to dunk on right-wingers now but still having to defend Democrats. Jesus Aren't you Christ. glad you don't have yeah. to do that shit anymore? I remember that. I remember yeah. being a fucking liberal and like... Hell, I remember being a liberal and thinking Bernie was too fucking far left. Now, <laughs> he might as well be a fucking fascist to me. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's wild to me to think about that. If I had any recommendation for liberal listeners, it's don't just take our word for anything. Don't just, you know, take, oh, these fucking Antifa boys or fucking leftist communist Soviet sympathizers word for it. Do this. Take a holiday. Just in this economy, right? No, no, not that kind of holiday. A a mental holiday. Take a mental political holiday from all of the liberal agenda for just a month or two. Just take, let's say, two months, and in your mind, silence everything that comes from any liberal. Silence everything that comes from the Biden administration. You're not going to lose any ground on your fucking redneck relatives. <laughs> just take a break from it, and in those two months. Just go on fucking YouTube. I won't even hit you over the head with a book. I got so many goddamn books stacked that I need to get to. I haven't even finished Jaren's fucking book. But <laughs> for anyone as lazy as me, just go on YouTube and I'm not even going to push you to like Parentians Isaac. Like <laughs> go on YouTube and just look at history. Just search any history videos like about the Vietnam War, about the Romanovs, about Europe and Africa. Just look at the fucking Mujahideen, man. Just go and look at Afghanistan history. Go look at Iraq history. This last Iraq war and absolutely no chemical weapons of mass destruction found. A fucking army uh, guy pissed in a fucking uh, semi-truck trailer and they thought they found ammonia proving it until the guy said, no, I, I took a fucking leak in there. That's the closest <laughs> goddamn thing to evidence they had. It's like a classic blunder. Separate yourself from this little fucking narrow 
are you the guy who wants the vaccine? Are you the guy who doesn't want the vaccine? Bullshit. Just separate yourself from it. Fuck all of that. And just look into history and find out how fucking not only terrifying, but fascinating some of this information is. You find out that you don't really care that much about political parties and anything like that. And after you've been there long enough, you're going to see the full circle and then it's going to bring you back to your own country. It's going to bring you back to your own political parties to reevaluate them. I fucking got in my closet. I can go dig it out. I've got a fucking Kennedy shirt. I wore that to vote one time. I, I could pull out my fucking JFK shirt for you. Like we we've all been there, man. And it's like, I remember buying that shirt and feeling so cool about it because in Georgia, I'll always see the old school Reagan Bush shirts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like see the, the Reagan Bush shirts. And it's just like, I wanted like the opposite to spit in their eye. And I thought the opposite was, was the Kennedy shirt. And, <laughs> and I felt so cool going and voting for a neoliberal wearing that shirt. And today, just the things I know about JFK, it's it's just crazy. And so that's my advice, is just leave American politics alone for a bit. Look outside of your own country. Look into history. Fall in love with history. Let your political ideology catch up later. That's the best advice I can give anyone. Yeah, it's... I didn't chime in a lot because it's been so fucking long that I've actually had to argue about like Southern strategy and states' rights. Like it's been so fucking long. Yeah. Like fuck, I can't even remember. And most of the time, like I'm not even. And it feels like, so talking, good. It feels, I, it feels so great. good to never do that again. Yeah, because dude, like when you're a liberal, it's always on your back foot. You know, like you're just waiting for some fucking conservative to say some dumb shit, and you're like, well, actually, and then like you get into a whole fucking debate. Nah, man, I start off every, like, interaction. I'm the one who brings up politics, and I immediately point at class. So I never have this conversation ever again. Yeah. It is nice, like, when you go from that, like I was saying, having to defend liberals, um, having to, like, pick a side of a system that you know, that you can see right in front of your face is just completely blatantly corrupted and flawed. And you have to pick one of those sides and decide that that's the line in the sand you're going to draw, and you're going to defend that side. Now I just look at both Democrats and Republicans. Dude, it's so weightlifted. Like, they're just like scared little children who are like watching their country decay in front of their eyes and they're sad about it. And I'm just like, bro, this deserves to happen. Like this needs yep. to happen for the future of humanity. If this is a good thing. You should be happy about it. And when you come at all of American politics from that mindset, it is like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's so great because it's so free. And I really feel like that is it's not even just like a big cope. It's not like I'm just like coping with not being able to influence American politics. I don't want to. I don't right. want to change it. Like, I don't want it to stop going this direction. I want it to just keep going faster and it's going to happen. So like, just sit back and relax, guys. We're winning. Like, <laughs> now, I remember like talking to conservative relatives after, you know, like posting progressive stuff and all and, you know, vote for Biden or vote for whoever. I mean, not Biden. Jesus Christ. I've never said that. I mean, Bernie. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I remember posting stuff like that and people asking me, well, you're posting this on Facebook. You've got, what, 20, 30 people interacting. You might sway one or two of them to actually yeah, right. vote for the candidate you're arguing for. Why are you doing it? Now, and my argument was, if I convince one single person to do what's right and vote for the better candidate, then I've done everything I can ask for. And now my position is, if I can convince one single person not to vote at all. <laughs> I feel like I've accomplished something. <laughs> Burn every ballot box. <laughs> I found the quote. 
I was looking up Gingrich in the index. I should have looked up suburbs because it took me right to it. So this is Gingrich in 1994. Newt Gingrich, Speaker of the House, Republican from Georgia. He's talking about the people of Cobb County. People in Cobb Can't don't relate. object. I live in Cobb. Hell yeah. <laughs> so uh, think back to what Lee Atwater said about low taxes and things like that and how it's a dog whistle. So Gingrich says in 1994, people in Cobb don't object to upper middle class neighbors who keep their lawns cut and move to the area to avoid crime. He, Gingrich, went on. What people worry about is the bus line gradually destroying one apartment complex after another, bringing people out from public housing who have no middle class values and whose kids, as they become teenagers, often are centers of robbery and where the schools collapse because the parents who live in apartment complexes don't care that the kids don't do well in school and the whole school collapses. Gingrich concluded his remarks in the interview with a ringing endorsement of his constituents and basically said that the New South, the Republican South, the people here are for low taxes, low unions, strong work ethic, strong commitment to family and community. I love that. I just love that rhetoric that it's like the families of color who have children in schools, they're not doing badly because they're underfunded or there's any kind of infrastructure there. They don't have the resources that white communities have. It's just they're not trying. They just don't care about school. That's all it is. It's a totally cultural thing. It's they're not caring about school bone in their brain, of course. Like we all know about that bone that exists in people of color's heads. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And we just have to structure society around that unfortunate nature. I'm sorry, you guys, but (laughs) and what like with that quote with Gingwich, like what really rang out to me when I heard that, that's literally exactly what Lee Atwater is talking about in the southern that is the southern strategy. Like Lee Atwater is saying in the 50s, you say this. In the 60s, you say this. Later on in the 80s, we said this. And it's all tied together. It's so abstract. It means the same thing. White people succeed. Black people get hurt more because of our policy. Republican economic policies. He's like, we can do away with the race issue. We don't even have to say we're racist, even though we are. We can do it economically. And they can't say that we're racist because we just say it's all about economics. Yes, Darrell. And, and another thing that's important here is what like Newt Gingrich is saying, what Lee was saying, what he's saying, he's saying to his voters and telling them that this is why they should do it. But in reality, it's not even that. In reality, he doesn't give a fuck about color. Like as racist as these fuckers come off, all they care about is that the ruling class at the top consolidates more wealth he it is completely win-win because he sells this story to these racist voters who vote for him and don't realize they're actually part of the same fucking marginalized group they are getting to in yeah it's definitely disproportionately affecting people of color but they are also in the group getting taken advantage of too it is hurting them and that that's the truth of both parties if you vote biden into office or if you vote trump into office it is hurting you if you're not worth a fucking hundred million or better, maybe 20 million or better. If you're 20 million or better, then yeah, you can choose what party actually benefits you. But if yeah. you, if you are not, if you are any of the fucking rest of us, I promise you there's no lesser of two evils. They are both working to consolidate wealth in the hands. Just like Alexander Hamilton said, he wants the power in the hands of the few of the wealthy to control the entire fucking government. Just because you're a conservative or just because you're a liberal, that doesn't mean you get power in this country. You don't get power in this country regardless. 
And that's why there's no path forward that involves electoralism. You know, and some of the more doomer of us don't even think there's really a path forward with revolution because the fucking climate collapse is next Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Because yeah. <laughs> every time you say Alexander Hamilton now, I just think of <laughs> no, no horrible play. Yeah, let's class slave owners as black and make it woke and make it rap. It's just like, oh my God. Right. Like black Twitter and black TikTok were just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't man. believe the liberals aren't waking up more with, uh, you know, media like that influencing their positions. Alexander Hamilton. He went on to write the other 500,000 articles of the <laughs> fucking Bill of Rights. As if that's a good uh, thing. One guy writes the fucking 90% of the shit, and that's something you're bragging about? You think that's democracy? Then he got shot. <laughs> that's the closest thing to democracy he ever felt. <laughs> All right, you guys want to wrap it up there? Thank you again, Nelson. Seriously, no I, can't appreciate, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing that, because yeah. that was great. Like I said, that was exactly what I wanted to do, just coming around out, give everybody an explanation of exactly why this is a bullshit it's a great, It's a great forerunner, and I can work out the kinks from when I do it on my show. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, I honestly thought that this was like a script that you had from like a dissertation you had to give or something. Like, it was- Oh, I mean, I took Southern politics in undergrad years ago, and I took it again at the graduate level two semesters ago, and I did my paper in that class on the sharecroppers union. So our sharecroppers episode the sharecroppers union is from a paper that I did in this class. But uh, no, this is something that um, is, I think, very important. Obviously, I don't give a shit about the two-party system, but I hate when Republicans who are just racist shitbags try to say that they're not racist shitbags and try to distort history and yeah. try to say that like this party switch didn't happen. The party switch happened. I want, like, this is the overarching thesis of all this. Real quick before we go. The party switch doesn't necessarily mean that the party platform of the Dixiecrat South was copy and pasted to the Republican Party. What it means is that the voters who made up the South switched sides. They became Republican. Why did they become Republicans? Because the Republicans met their class and social issues. The Republicans became more and more racist, more and more pro-capitalist, no unions, lower taxes, all this conservative bullshit we hear today and the white Southerners ate that up and became Republican. How anyone could deny this party switch is beyond me, but the Republicans who deny it frame it in that somehow there's this big colossal at one time wave and all the Southern Democrats, I don't even know how they fucking, it's a fairy tale to me. Like it doesn't make any sense. They fucking, yeah, bro, are you telling me that there's like just some eclipse and then everyone just switched parties? <laughs> they, they think that, like, obviously, I don't think the Republican Party today would argue we should have chattel slavery again, yeah. right? I would hope so. Okay, Sterling, I see it in your face. <laughs> they probably would. I see. Uh, listen, listen. For sake of argument, I don't think hypothetically. I hope I'm not, hypothetically, I'm not that doomer pilled that modern day Republicans would not want to be the Democrats of the 1860s. Yeah. And they, like, let, let's just fucking hope not. They just wouldn't want to I don't own even think- it. They would vote for the guy yeah. that was saying that and they would say, yes, no, dude. it's yeah. about yeah. his state rights <laughs> policy. <laughs> I don't even, I, and I may even be going out. On, yeah, I don't, and I, you know, hot take, I may be going out on a limb. I think some Republicans would, but I don't even think that a lot of the Republican voters just being around them all the time 
would want to even go back to some sort of like Jim Crow 1930s, 1940s, 1950s shit, right? What happened was, is that it stopped being so aggressively racist and started being more subtly racist and more about economics. The racism never went away. It just changed its vocabulary. And what really got them was why they liked Southern Democrats. They had their cake and eat it too in that they hate paying taxes and they get to keep all the benefits of the federal government and not have to pay for it. And that's that's all the racism. Exactly. That is the party switch. That is what we mean when we say the party switch. The South no longer votes Democrat. It votes Republican. Why? Class interest and racism. Okay, so the big two things I'm coming away from this with are that it's impossible and kind of stupid to even try to argue with right-wing bullshit because that is the nature of what they do is that they throw out something completely ridiculous that takes you 10 times as long to try to refute it because we just spent two and a half hours refuting this three-minute Vanessa Souza bullshit that didn't even make sense to begin with. Like they posit a completely ridiculous hypothesis, which is that the parties just up and switch places willy-nilly for no reason and that that somehow is our claim that that abolishes the Democrats of all previous evils, when it's like no one is even saying that. But that's the point. It's like they, they can just say whatever, and then you have to then take on the hard task of refuting all of that. But then also, the second big takeaway is that you should be much more mad at liberals because they are able to refute this shit. Like the Democrats, once again, who are in power, these are studied people. These are people who went to all the highest elitist institutions. They know all this shit better than any of us here on a fucking podcast. And they know all this shit just as well as the Republicans who are spewing the rhetoric against it. And they don't combat it. They don't combat it. They could do all this shit for you. They could work for you, but they don't. And that's why you should be more mad at them than anybody. And yeah, if there's anything that you can leave here with anybody to the right of you, anybody to the right of John Brown is a fucking subhuman piece of scum. <laughs> and you should understand that they are racist no matter what. Oh, we gotta go Alex Jones. Go scum. <laughs> and they deserve to go to the re-education camp if they're lucky. And, anyway, and the really the podcast. The, 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 thank you. Dixieland, the proletariat. We talk about Southern working class history and current events through leftist perspective. If you really want to see the party switch in action, count how many Confederate flags are at a Republican fucking rally and how many Confederate flags are at a Democrat Here's how rally. that works. I know, right? Yep. Uh, my name is Nelson. I'll send you guys a link tree. You can click on our links. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on social media. Uh, I'm single. Um, I got <laughs> dumped a few months ago. If there's, uh, I'll go ahead and say the, the hosts of this podcast are a lot more attractive than I am. So maybe that they, maybe they have a, a more uh, women-based fan base, I guess. <laughs> no, no, dude. Uh, we're, uh, all, we're all cuffed up it, heavily. If, 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 well, okay. Well, anyway, if there's anyone listening, I run the social media, please. Somebody, I will say, my boy Nelson. <laughs> I will say, Nelson looks as huggable as Kim Jong Un himself. So I am. Please hit him I up. Am. I am chubby, Italian, bald, and I have a beard. Anyway, if you like, if you like funny dudes with dad bods and a beards. I'm your guy, and I'll show up to your family meeting and I'll punch your uncle in the face. Oh <laughs> hell, hell yeah! yeah. That goes a long way. Yeah, I'll, f- I'll fuck you for that. Roll <laughs> damn time, brother. Um, as always, like I said, Dixon and the proletariat dot pro. Uh, Dixie Pro, I've sent you the link to the link tree. Click on it. You have all our stuff. We're on all social media. Listen to us where you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitch sometimes when Tommy decides he wants to do Twitch. And always <laughs> remember, uh, you just uh, this podcast is all a bunch of drugged up communists. <laughs> we got to do another game night sometime.
yeah, yeah we gotta do you guys are on Twitch almost every Saturday night pretty regularly. And once in a while, when we have the chance, we will jump on there with you. So it's always a yeah. lot of fun every time we've done that. I, I have. Sure. So, so one thing about me, I'm extremely into board games. I have about a hundred different board games. Um, and I've found this website that has like some really fucking kick-ass board games that are available digitally. That will be fun as fuck to do oh, yeah, uh, on, on yeah. a stream like that. Do you all have Twitch? Yeah, we, we got we have podcast on Twitch. We just yeah. It's been y'all, we don't really use it. <laughs> y'all are very I'll say this as a as a straight man. Y'all are very aesthetically pleasing. I don't see why you don't have a fucking <laughs> Oh, we know. <laughs> I mean fucking Ward over here looks like a goddamn male model. Like yeah, Ward, <laughs> Ward's a sexy son of a bitch. He <laughs> is. You know, if I, I like if I was gonna if I was gonna like pick anyone to be a GQ model, it's him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, you fuck Ward. Sterling, Sterling you, fuck you. You. Yeah. <laughs> you fuck you fuck Ward. You marry Jaren, and you put a bullet in my head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> What's the uh, context? I was thinking of fuck Mary Kill. Oh, I was thinking of like fuck Mary Kill. If you could do it for like countries, I thought that would be pretty funny. But it would just end up sounding racist if you did yeah. it. But, like, no, yeah. no, we're killing, we're killing the U.S. every time. <laughs> every time. I'm fucking yeah. the U.S., I'm marrying the U.S., and then I'm killing the U.S. <laughs> All right, uh, Sterling, go ahead and plug the Twitter. At, at Turn Leftist Pod. Hell yeah. Yeah, I just listened to, re-listened to the Bitcoin episode when you were like, yo, fuck AG, and fuck that bitch, and fuck that it was so funny. Fuck I was Mueller, so she mad. wrote. I was so, so mad. Did you see that shit, Nelson, when I got in no, that flame war I'm, with Mueller, she wrote? I, I don't... I'm more on Instagram. I want to know how okay. the fuck did you guys like blow up on Instagram? <laughs> I look, it's like 15,000. How the fuck did this happen? That, that's because I, I never stopped posting, dude. Yeah, he used that's, to have like 40K on the first one. Yeah, right? that was it. Yeah, the first one was like really up there. I was like, God, Don't I'm, like, I'm like stuck at like 6,900 something. I cannot break into 7K. <laughs> Probably because it's me running. If I looked as good as you guys, it'd be fucking. <laughs> it was like, Yo, I posted a video like, God, this is fat bald dude. It's like 40. We, we, we do put dick pics in our stories. I mean, that's yes. really hey, the secret. Yeah, fuck, that's it. That's the secret. You got to pay attention. I only leave it up for a minute. No need to get flagged. What is it, American History? What was it, American History actually chops fucking uh, porn into each film? Yeah. He's like, just for a split second. So you, yeah. You get one there? second dick you pic. Get a you got to cash it at the right time of the, the kids day. kids are crying anyway. They know they saw it. How good, how good is your pause game? Clack. <laughs> Ward, go ahead and plug uh, your socials. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Millennial Leftist, common spelling. Uh, that's with two N's. Uh, Wait, time out. You're Millennial Leftist? Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Holy <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, hell yeah. Yeah, uh, you could also follow my backup at Millennial Marxist because my main one will probably get deleted here soon. Uh, and follow me on Twitter at Ward Lolly, W A R D L A W L E Y. You can follow yeah, my that was embarrassing in, the other day. My oh, Instagram yeah. at the real Noam Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm obviously kidding. You have a bunch of anarchist messages. You're like, I love you. Like, go away. Have a successful revolution. This, this doesn't even look like Chomsky's dick. <laughs> that uh, that was really embarrassing the other day. Where I couldn't. I tried to tag you in something, and I couldn't find his page because I was typing it with one N. And I like take pride in my spelling because I'm like really good at it. And like, but literally, I still have to type in Ward's entire username to get him to come up because you're so fucking shadow banned. It's yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I'm a secret gem. Jesus Christ. Um, all right, let me plug uh Cosper's Patreon. Uh, Cosper's <laughs> Patreon is 
existence is innocent. Just look for that on Patreon. You will find it. There's also a Discord server you can join and hang out. But if you are missing Cosper's great takes on this podcast, that's where you find it. Find them on the Patreon and once in a while on our Discord server if you can catch them. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then let me read our Patreons just real quick. So thank you, as always, to Nicholas Maduro. It's not actually Nicholas Maduro, but I named him that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> Caitlin, Gus, Kyle, Madman, Robert, Garden of Nurgle's Delights, Comrade Rev, Cosmic Crown, Michael, Dan, Liquidated Bourgeoisie, Kaja, Sigmund, Stuart, Pizzeria, Colton, El Robert, Allison, Zach, James, Raven Enigma, Marvin, K. Ryder, Not Drinking Water 69, James, Madboy, Christian, Elam, Venture X, Jared, the Australian one, another Jared, Jaron has the best opinions, Bill Killionaires, Bro You Know Marks, David, Tristan, Devante, your mother, Charlotte, James, Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, John Bovey Fan 420. I think it's also a sponsor. Hey, of the John, Oh, yeah, John right? Fan 420. Fuck yeah, dude. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah. Aaron, Kyle, Jean Claude Manhands, Neil, <laughs> Phil, and Black Warner Janitor. Yeah, I mean, John Bovey Fan's like a fucking OG supporter, been there forever. Wait, I, I got a question real quick. Is that are those just new subscribers? Or is that everybody? No, that's that everyone everybody? because yeah. I made the mistake of saying on an episode with Ward one time. I was like, yeah, when we get to fifty, I'll stop reading. I'll just read the new ones. And now we've been hovering mm-hmm. at forty eight for like eight weeks. It's yeah. Just, yeah. just keep going everybody with the same <laughs> yeah, people. So, Whatever. So, sometimes there'll be like no new subscribers. I'll just be and no one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we lost one since last time, but whatever. Yeah. I want to shout out a few based ass comrades just on Instagram. Uh, obviously, Blackwater.janitor is, is yeah. the homie. You know, definitely follow out. him. Goth.holiday is a badass dude. Um, Redshift, which is underscore R, underscore E, all the way to shift. And then it has one last underscore. Redshift fucking rules. Who else on here deserves a fucking shout out? It's Colton, dude's tight. Gramsci and chill. Yeah, Colton.com, Colton fucking rules. Oh, Goblin, Goblin rules. Goblin, it's G-O-B-L-N-777. That dude fucking rules. Uh, these, these dudes right here, uh, they're Dees, D-O-T-P-R-O-L-E. They're okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, dude, this guy's awesome. Uh, Chris Nix, which is just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Chris, and then Nick's N-I-C-K-S. He's got his own, own podcast. I need to check it out, but he hits me up a lot. He's fucking awesome. Upstream podcast. I fucking love you guys. Why'd you stop responding to my uh, messages? I thought we were I've gonna... listened to them a lot lately, too. Their show's I, great. I, I thought we were going to do this shit. Um, <sighs> of course, the... Uh, they probably made the mistake of listening to our show, and they're like, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> you're right. Our own gay Stalinist, Demon Rat, D-I-M-A-C-R-A-A. That is the one person who keeps our Discord alive for the better. Thanks, <laughs> Anya. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, I just You're want the to best. Shout, shout out a couple of homies. I have, I have one thing. I'm gonna say this on my next episode too. <laughs> Chavo Trap House is coming to the south. If you OG listener to our podcast, you know what's supposed to happen if Chavo Trap House ever comes down south. What's that? Uh, they're supposed to shoot him. But if, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, because uh, I'm not advocating for that, or nor do I want to go to federal prison. If anyone wants to go to their fucking live shows, right, and just heckle the shit out of them, I'll fucking cash app, PayPal, or Venmo you 50 bucks. And he means so heckle him dime bag Daryl style. 
I, I no, I, do not. Have <laughs> let, let me let me ask you this because I wouldn't mind going and meeting the guys. Um, I don't have any issues with it. Is there something I don't know? I know they have some rad lib takes here and there. Is there a particular reason? That's it, right? They're just kind of libs. Yeah, they're rad libs. They make what, like close to two million dollars off this fuck. Off the, off they make one hundred fifty grand a month at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bro. It's like I, we added up. What is it like one over? It's over a million. Like it was one point six. It's, yeah. it's some ungodly. They make they make millions of dollars off a of leftist podcast. I want to make a million dollars. They, <laughs> they fucking. Uh, I just want to go to the DPRK, man. <laughs> during, the, during the presidential election, they like talk shit about the South because the South. They're like, oh, we're not going to go to South Carolina. We're not going to, then they made like a whole thing. That was always the inside joke about that show for years that they would never go to the South. Yeah. They never go to the South. And so like, all right, well, fuck you then. So uh, we don't want you. Also the whole shit. I know. No. Uh, No, I want to punch Matt (laughs) in his face. Um, I could, I'd beat Shadow Will Manneker. That'd be fucking great. Fuck him. The whole shit with Virgil. I know he's not really on the podcast anymore, but they should have known he was a fucking creep to begin with. Well, he's, he's he's out. Although him and Amber both disappeared for like months. And then they finally said something about him being officially off the show, like over this past summer. And then Amber just showed up again out of nowhere, like last month for like a couple episodes and then is back off again. But they even said like in the show, they're like, yeah, we're not even going to acknowledge it. Like she's just back. Hey, I'm back. And then that was it. They just continued on with the episode. We're like, all right, like what is going on here? But what, what, what did he do? Virgil got caught fucking uh, grooming teenage girls. Oh, Nice. Yeah, being a fucking saw, creep, yeah. I saw a bunch of articles, but he's still involved in that other one with that ex- That other one, yeah. Biden. Something, right? Bad Faith. Yeah, Bernie. Bad Faith podcast. With Brianna Joy Gray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, she's a fucking rad lib as much as the rest of them, but, you know, He's she, also barely on it. Like, he's low on, like, every 10th episode. Yeah, but she, like, has a fucking career career. Like, she is, like, like when, when Chapo is, yeah, when Chapo is long gone and dead, she'll be fucking 80s still consulting for progressive, you know, candidates. I mean, like, she, she is fucking good. So, like, I am blown away. Because people like that, they are always the first to cut that kind of shit off. So I'm really surprised she hasn't. My whole thing with, like, Chapo, Vosh, Hassan, et cetera, is that like people find them and like people might become quote unquote left because of them. But the problem is, is that people stay there. Yeah. And especially more with the example of Vosh kind of also revert to like a reactionary mindset because he's such a piece of fucking shit. Yeah. And like, can you even say he's left at this point? No, I mean, you really can't. He's just a he, shit. He's, he's openly a said that he gave away personal information of, quote unquote Antifa members to the FBI. He called yeah. himself a fucking informant, yeah. which is bullshit. There's no fucking Antifa organization. Yes, there are yeah. several organizations that fly under that banner, but that's a fucking acronym, not an organization. Society has progressed past the need for like Chapo Trap House <laughs> and yeah. fucking Vosh and Hassan and they, and they I'm not even saying like come to us, but like or y'all like uh, there's better podcasts, there's revolutionary groups there's organizations that are on the ground doing things. And when people give money to like Hassan and Chapo and Vosh, and they may sometimes donate to people, the amount of money that they have because of being quote unquote leftists is 
far greater than any sort of money that they give to any sort of revolutionary group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, any, def- any mutual aid. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't donate to them. Like, they're, they're, yeah. fu- they're fucking rich as shit. If you're still donating to Chapo Trap House, I have what no idea. What are you idea. doing? Like, yeah, like, what, what are you, are you doing? doing? But, but I have no <laughs> issue with people even listening to Hassan or listening to Chapo because, like, with Chapo... I consider Chapo comedians. Like I wouldn't even mind seeing them. It's a comedy show, but it's a comedy show made up of people who happen to be leftists. But if someone thinks they're going to listen to Hassan or fucking Chapo and actually learn something of of value to expand their ideological view of of the world, I mean, they might be fair. Like they got me into this shit. Chapo was a huge stepping stone for me. Like going from being the rad lib, like we were talking about earlier tonight, being like having to defend Democrats and being like a a hardcore Bernie bro and then transitioning over into being based. Like, you know, it's uh, like they may on the surface, people who look at them like as a comedy act, like, yeah, but they can be funny from time to time. But like, there's people who listen to them and think that they're God. And I really think that the majority of people who listen to, like, I'm not even saying Hassan was bad. Like if Hassan makes money and buys a house for him and his family, like whatever, I don't fucking care. He's a rad Um, lib. I mean, He's a radlib. He's not. Yeah. A, he's not Che Guevara. He's not fucking. Yeah. You know Mao. He's fucking Hassan Piker. Um, <laughs> the fucking like, but the people who listen to yeah, I mean, he Bosch was a he was Hassan, a fucking yeah. founding member of the Young Turks. Oh, like, the Young Turks. Yeah. What the what the if, fuck do you expect? <laughs> yeah. If you look at these, right, not Vosh because he's not funny. But if you look at, like Hassan and Chavo Trap House as as Hass- comedy, I mean, Hassan, yeah, Hassan is a hot piece of ass. Like, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll say yeah, that. You want to talk about like, being, like, hot leftist God, media God man's damn, God damn, that's a work of art of a man. That man's beautiful. <laughs> but, like, we can listen to him. People can listen to them and see that they're comedy. But I think a lot of people listen to those things and they stay there and they get stuck and they never progress past them. And I don't think that, especially not Vosh, but Hassan and Chavo Trap House, do not materially help any sort of left movement. Like Chapo Travis doesn't even organize with DSA anymore. Like how basic can you get? Like, yeah, it's it, not like they left the DSA and went to like the PSL. They just stopped doing anything. Yeah. They stopped doing anything. They've come out of, they've again, commodified leftism. Like they've commodified the left and they make money off of it. And it sucks. Hey, can I just say real quick, since we mentioned Brianna Joy Gray's podcast, the bad face show and that show frustrates me to no end. And I have to fucking unsubscribe from it. That entire show is literally just Brianna Joy Gray having good guests on and asking them questions like, yeah, but how do we get this leftist utopia that we all want while still working within this political system that exists? And it's like, I don't know if she's genuinely asking this because she doesn't understand that you cannot get the things that she wants no, while no, working no, no, within no. the system. She, she, is, she is fucking bullshitting. She's playing a game and she's trying to get your money. It's like every one of the greatest <laughs> guests they have have to be a premium episode. Like, even if you wanted to hear them fucking whoop old Noam Chomsky's ass, you have to... I was going to say, did they beat up Noam Chomsky? <laughs> like, Chomsky... I like, Chomsky has a... I hate Chomsky, yeah. and I'm like, yo, chill. Dude, the dude's like 90-something. He's, like, knocking on death's door, and, like, they're just beating up on this old man. I was oh, like, yeah. what the fuck? This was a premium episode? Of course. Yeah, all yeah. of their good fucking guests, they, they do. And, and that's their thing. It's like their whole fucking strategy is bring on the decent guest, try to get you hooked because they both have their reputations, and then get mm-hmm. the good guest to make you fucking pay for it. And at least, at least, Chapo Trap House, and I'm not trying to fucking pat them on the back, but fucking at least they do you the decency to let you decide whether or not you're going to donate to them because that was your decision. Bad faith, 
you can't even get the content you most want if you don't. Oh do yeah, it. they're just doing the like really yeah. scheme like scheme yeah. marketing. Yeah. Chapo yeah. does have. I'm not gonna lie. Chapo does have good interviews. One of which was when they interviewed Andrew Yang. They actually like held his feet to the fire yeah. trying to get him to say socialism. Like they do, I'll give them credit because of their Virgil and ironically did. Yeah, Virgil and ironically yeah. <laughs> did. Uh, they do have some good interviews and they do bring the light uh, uh, some good topics because they have such a big platform. I think my beef with them is I think is my friend Chris at Black Red Guard said it best. If if my organization had the money that the name dropped, tra- by the way, no, no, right, love Black Red Guard. <laughs> if uh, if the organization he's in or any sort of revolutionary organization had the money that Chapo Trap House had, we might actually be getting somewhere in some sort of revolution. But like, yeah. it it's, goes to three well, rich white guys in Brooklyn that live in a I, fucking brownstone. I, I get I get the theory, but I mean, a couple million a year compared to billions a year, what we're up against. Man, you yeah. buy a lot of AKs with a million dollars. I mean, it was- I mean, my my thing is they're making too much money. I'll say that. But if that is actually being used in a in a smart way, that's keeping their lights fucking on and allowing them to pay all the guests they're involved with. I sure as hell hope no one's going on Chapo Trap House for fucking free. But if they if they are properly paying their people that are involved, their producers, their editors, their marketing team, if they are doing everything the right way, and that has helped getting the word out, which is broadening the... I mean, all I can say is, and maybe I'm trapped in this echo chamber, but I sure as fuck feel like in the last two years, we have seen a huge rise in leftist beliefs and leftist views and, and even socialism and communism becoming like a common place for discussion. And there is no way that I can't give Chapo trap house credit for that. Yeah. It goes back to what I said about like, they get you to a point, but the, the problem is that you, a lot of people get stuck there. It's like the DSA, know, like we yeah. did a whole episode. It's like, you know, if, if that's your starting point, get in there, learn what you need, but always know you have to move further. And yeah, it's, it's the same way. If you listen to Chapo trap house, Please, for the love of God, don't think that that's the end. Listen all. to fucking Rev Left Radio or us oh or God. you guys. Like, come yeah, on. Rev, Rev Left at least is the end. All. Like, if you're I mean, listening we're to Rev Left, we're definitely preaching to the choir here. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Everyone who's listening to this has already taken that advice. Brent's, probably, Brent's listening, like, ah, oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, this little podcast, uh, Rev Left Radio, uh, <laughs> posted them before. Uh, Dick's Land of the Proletariat, they've hosted them before, you know. <laughs> We're trying to really get them out there. Trying to get the red light off the ground, man. Yeah, we may have collectively yeah. turned you on to them. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, by the way. Yeah. You're welcome, Brett. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, other people that listen to Rev Left Radio. Oh, man. All right. Dude, this fucking, this apple's fucking great. <laughs> Dude, I've never seen anyone eat a caramel apple for two hours. <laughs> and the listeners will never know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thank you, guys. I think a we'll bunch of drunk up communists. 